I, I cannot tell you how tempted I was to just write nothing happens aggressively so for 20 minutes. <laughs> and may I have that as, as my recap? Because, uh, yeah, I mean. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Go to the Ring, where we take a look at the good old days and not-so-good old days of World Championship Wrestling Series by Series. I'm your host, Bob Moore, and I'm joined by our own knockoff version of Noob Saibot, Alec Bridgen. My Tube Nybot, I guess? (laughs) How's it going tonight, Al? Good, how's it going with you? Uh, Doing all right. Tonight, we are taking a look at Bash at the Beach 1998. Like skinny dipping in the Shark Tank. I haven't watched much of that show, but I have to say I'm not sure that would get you an investment deal. Yeah, I feel like they wouldn't air that episode. Pro- no. Probably, yeah. I think that would violate at least some standards and practices. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> Bash of the Beach 1998 was held on July 12, 1998 at the Cox Arena in San Diego, California, in front of a sold-out crowd of 10,095 fans, 9,031 paid. The Cox Arena had actually been open only for almost a year at that point. Mm. It opened July 24th, 1997. Now known as the, and I'm sure I'm going to get this pronunciation incorrect, Vegas Arena? I want to say it's Viejas. Viejas? That's probably better, yeah. I think it's Viejas, yeah. Now known as the Viejas Arena, it has also played host to wrestling events from TNA and AEW. Bash the Beach 1998 earned 525,000 pay-per-view buys. That's over twice last year's number. My goodness. 1998 is an astonishingly good year for WCW, considering that it comes after they kind of killed the whole NWO storyline back at Starcade 1997. Yeah. Before the show, there was one dark match. Viano 4 and Viano 5 defeated Damien and Ciclope. So no Viano's trading places on the main show this year, Al. Dang. More importantly, sadly, we don't have a Laparca match. Oh. Could the show possibly still be worth watching? At least if you're anyone other than Al. We'll have to see. Let's go to the ring. <laughs> The beach. 
What a massively annoying opening video package. Yeah, right? Hey, here's a great idea. Let's do absolutely no actual story recapping and instead just say the names of people in the main event, but put so many audio effects over the top, you basically can't understand anything. Yeah. It is awful. And that's even without mentioning what it's actually promoting, another tag team main event starring Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Oh, joy. My dream. Mm Mm-hmm. Host Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the show alongside co-host The Professor, Mike Tanay, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. All are dressed casually, with Tony and Heenan in Hawaiian shirts and lays, while Tanay is dressed more like he's headed to the neighborhood backyard barbecue. That's fair, yeah. He tried. I mean, he's a professor. They are not going to be hip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tony notes that the new world champ, Goldberg, has a match against Kurt Hennig, but the world is talking about one match. Diamond Dallas Page and Carl Malone of the Utah Jazz versus Hulk Hogan and <sighs> Dennis Rodman yep. of the Chicago Bulls. Tanay builds up how many media organizations are here tonight. Heenan notes that Hogan blames Malone and DDP for his loss to Goldberg, and Rodman and Malone had it out during the NBA playoffs. Tony again mentions the world title match and throws to Mean Gene Okerlund. Gene, on this year's Again Lovely Beach set, Mm -hmm. says that Hennig, an NWO Hollywood member, would love to get the world title back for their spiritual leader, and indeed, their leader. Okay. But there's no time to dwell any further on that weird statement because he has to advertise the capsule composite from Tanay on the WCW hotline. 1-900-909-9900. Or if you're Canadian... 1-900-451-5344. Doesn't quite roll off the tongue as well. Yeah. Get your act together, Canada. So our first match is Perry Saturn versus Raven with Lodi and Riggs in a Raven's Rules match. Referee for this one is Nick Patrick. Saturn would leave Raven to flock after being a member for a while, after experiencing too much abuse, both physical and mental. However, he would be the only one to do that, and no one would follow suit. And so now he's got the whole group against him. During this time, Canyon would also try to join the flock, as we've seen on other shows. Weirdly, he tried to join as Mortis, and then just take the mask off as if the... I guess we thought they didn't know he's the same guy, perhaps? <laughs> I mean, they're probably fool Reese, to be fair. He's not the smartest guy. Yeah, yeah. Canyon tries to join, and they reject him. So he begins his own separate campaign... So towards the tail end of this buildup, the two of them team up. However, they don't really align, so they both basically fight the flock, but if they get each other's way, they'll hit each other as well. Yeah. It's after this, right? The Road Wild 1998 match. Correct. Yeah. Where it's a three-way match, and they're basically beating each other up just about as much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would all fall apart in the go-home Nitro, where they would seemingly inadvertently attack each other. Although the first one's definitely seemingly inadvertent. The followed by Canada's very advertent, I guess, would be the word for it. <laughs> so at this point, it's still just Saturn against Raven without anyone helping them. Saturn comes out to his tremendously annoying siren music. <laughs> Raven comes out to his WWE theme, so overdubbed theme count, one. Part of the beach set today is a sand pyramid decorated with a skull. It looks like the Punisher took a break from killing criminals to have some fun on the beach. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> it was really weird. Someone in the crowd has a sign reading, Today is Saturday. It was Sunday. 
Yeah, and today's also not Saturday, in case you're wondering. Yeah. Riggs looks appropriately confused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a great shot of him looking at the side going, what? <laughs> Saturn aggressively attacks, landing strikes and barricade rams, but slips off the top rope and quickly recovers with a drop kick. Tanay praises his quick thinking, but it kind of sounds like a backwards compliment. He means to say, Saturn slipped off the top rope just momentarily, regained his senses, and laid him out with a dropkick. But it comes out as, slipped off the top rope, just momentarily regained his senses, yeah, and laid him out with a dropkick. <laughs> Saturn gets an ankle lock, but Raven gets the ropes. Normally, we'd question if that should actually cause a break in a no-DQ match, but this is Raven's rules, so I guess he'd know. Right. Well, and it's his rules. He, if yeah, he, if he, he wants it to be a break, then yeah, it's a break. I'm always astonished. He's like, Raven's rules match, and one of the rules is not Raven wins. Yeah, yeah. He's just right. like, <laughs> Raven can use all weapons and no one else can. You must get a 10 count on Raven. Yeah. Even if Raven submits, it just gives him a five-minute break. Mm-hmm. And uh, the flock can take his place during that time. Basically making a Texas death match, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? A Chicago Chicago six-man tag Texas death match or something was yes, it on the yeah. first show? Mm-hmm. <laughs> tag confusing. Raven dodges a leg drop, hits a snap suplex, and sets up a table. Tony calls it a chair, earning jabs from Heenan and Tanae. <laughs> Raven tries suplexing Saturn on the table, but Saturn crotches him on the ropes instead. Raven dodges a springboard dive and hits a Russian leg sweep into the barricade for two. A child in the crowd, very audibly, tells Saturn that he sucks. Yeah. Poor guy's down there selling it, you know, like he's knocked out with a head injury, and this kid's shouting at him. You suck, Saturn. Yeah. He's got to be, like, right by the commentary table or something, because he comes... Yeah. There's a various points throughout the night where you hear this kid very loudly. Mm-hmm. Raven sleeper, but Saturn jawbreaker's free, T-Bone suplexes him, and grabs a chair. Tony jokes that it's a table. Good man, Tony. <laughs> yeah. Saturn chair shot and chair-assisted springboard leg drop for two. He fights off Riggs and Lodi, but Raven dodges a leaping kick and Saturn nails Patrick, who sells only marginally better than he did with Luger at Hogwild 1996. Yeah, it's so funny because he, he's trying to sell like he's knocked out. With his eyes open, while gripping the top rope desperately <laughs> to lower himself as gently as possible, as gently yeah. as possible to the ground. Yeah. Well, yeah, and for aiming as well. Like he 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 holds himself as long as he can to aim. He doesn't drop right away because Raven's down there. Yes. So he just lowers up a little more and then like falls to the side. Yeah, we can't fully blame this on Patrick. I think Raven's slightly in the wrong place as well afterwards, and collectively they got their timing wrong, but. What's funny about it is his initial reaction to the hit is good. Yeah. Like, he's like, oh, I'm unconscious. But then all the everything that follows is ridiculous. Yeah, right? <laughs> Saturn sets Raven on the table, then sets a second table above Raven for no apparent reason. He goes up top, but Canyon comes out and pulls Raven away. Saturn clearly sees this, Yep. but dives anyway putting himself through the top table and entirely missing the bottom table that Raven would have been lying on if he'd still been there. Yeah. What is the best case scenario for this spot in Saturn's mind? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to elbow drop a table that's posted above Raven, thus driving the centerpieces, I guess, into his heart. That's all I can figure, because 
I would understand if he'd set the second table flat on top of Raven. Yeah, sure. That you'd be like, okay, this is one of those things where, the, like, when they set a ladder on someone where they're like, oh, this adds to impact. Yeah, or you put a chair or something. Yeah, I you know. It, yeah. But he sets it standing with the legs extended yeah. on top of the table. So it's not in contact with Raven at all. He's going to crash through it himself. Mm-hmm. Raven's not going to have any contact from that table unless it's, like you said, shards that jab into vital parts of its anatomy. Yeah. The spot makes no sense. And maybe, Saturn's maybe, aim yeah, makes he, less. Maybe think, so if I hit this table above him, instead of fully stopping my momentum, it'll actually increase the force which I drive an elbow. So it's really just to speed me up. Like a little bump. Go, you hit going it. through something yeah, that yeah. all the laws of physics say should show, yeah. so slow you down. He, he like painted the chevrons on the yeah, table yeah. off camera, and so it's like a speed yeah, boost table. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's the only possible explanation for this. Well, what's funny is the next, next month's show, as we recovered, we'll see the double stack table and they set a guy on top of it. Yes. I think it's the nasty boys that do it, or the public, public, en- public enemy. Okay, so I hate myself less for saying this, but that makes much more sense. Yeah. I don't normally like to praise the public enemy, but... I'm here to get the merit of praise they deserve. Yeah, yeah. Kenyon celebrates with Raven, then flatliners Raven onto the chair. Two counts off Saturn's self-table crash, a Raven drop toehold onto the chair, and a Saturn chair-assisted kick. Riggs saves, so Saturn Death Valley drivers him, but Raven hits the even-flow DDT for the three-count and the win. Heenan actually cheered for Saturn to kick out there, which is kind of unusual. The only time he normally cheers for faces is when they're facing the NWO. Right, yeah. Overdubbed theme count, two, as Raven's WWE theme plays again. Thoughts on this one? As a whole, I think it's a pretty fun, chaotic match. It's clear that these guys have worked together before. They have good chemistry, it's very apparent. The tricky part for me, as always with block stuff, is how the interference is worked in. Because it's it's interesting in this match, because they don't really interfere until the one spot where they suddenly do. Yeah. And Saturn does the double back suplex, which looks really nice. But that also means that they have to be unconscious to not interfere with any of the table step stuff, because Canyon's got to save him. Right. So they sell that back suplex for quite a long time. <laughs> it's that thing we'll talk about. Like if you're in a match, you get punched, you you know you get back up. But if you're but if you run out to save swing at punch, you go, oh man, it hurts so much. I can't. Or if you're get attacked up. backstage, just like one hit, you're down, unconscious. The doctors are checking on you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The canyon spot again. The timing is off on that a bit. Yeah. Exceptionally, I get the idea that, okay, I'm going to do an extra dangerous thing to this guy because I really hate him. Right, I want yeah. to take him out. But, yeah, then he knows he's not going to hit him and just jumps anyways. Yes. It's clearly supposed to be Canyon pulls him off the table immediately as Saturn jumps. Yeah. But their timing is just completely wrong. I don't know if it's Canyon being too early or if Saturn maybe didn't feel like he had his balance right yet, mm-hmm. so he didn't maybe. jump when he was supposed to. Don't know, but... Clearly something goes wrong there. Well, yeah, it's when the way it plays out, it seems like he's supposed to be looking away, like he's setting his balance right. Yeah. So he doesn't see Cannon run over and do it. But you definitely get a clear shot of him looking right dead center at yeah. Cannon. <laughs> what is funny, too, is in hindsight, it kind of works out better. Because if you look at the way it actually plays out, yeah, Saturn hits that table and goes past it. Yes. If they'd done like a quick thing where Kane grabbed him and like pulled him there, he would have crashed into both he, of them. He totally would have hit them the yeah. way he actually comes down because his aim was wrong. Yeah. So it's weird, like this this hilarious spot because all the timing's off and why is the face so stupid to do this? 
in a weird way, does work out as best it could. It's actually far safer than if yeah. he'd gotten it right. Yeah. <laughs> he would have hit a table with the elbow and then carried that with him, basically, like a dive at them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I can't imagine that it felt good. Yeah, it's a rare thing when the spot goes wrong and you're like, wow, that's way safer than it would have been otherwise. Yeah, yeah right. The match pacing is weird, especially with the finish. So you have the big spot, but then when he's pushed in by Lodi, Saturn still kicks out. And you have, you know, Ken attacking Raven. But then the match kind of goes on for another minute after that. Yeah. It feels like it feels like the match reached where an endpoint should be somehow. Like Saturn, maybe Saturn is thrown in, but they don't see the canyon thing, so Saturn sort of lays on top of Raven to pin him. So he gets to win, but he doesn't actually really beat him, so it's not decisive. Yeah, or or just, I mean, if Saturn's losing anyway, just have it work when he he's rolled in after the crashing himself through the table. Yeah. Just have Raven get a pin on him. Yeah, maybe uh, Kane doesn't attack him then. Yeah. Raven gets the pin, celebrates, and then Kane... And that Kane's like, yay, and crash. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of different ways you could have done it. It, it, does, it did feel very weird to me that the match was continuing after its biggest spot. Yeah. Because like, here's a big spot and a turn. Oh, by the way, no, let's keep going. And here's his ordinary finisher. Yeah. This wasn't what we normally get for an opening match, but I liked it overall. Saturn and Raven put together some quite creative spots with the chair and makes them some good, solid wrestling. I appreciate the mix here. They do some hardcore brawling, but they aren't just hardcore brawling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Flock and Canyon get involved just about the right amount. I do take your point that they're kind of down for an unusual amount of time, mm-hmm. but I liked that there was Flock interference, but not a ton of Flock interference. Right, yeah. They're important to the match, but they don't overwhelm things. Mm-hmm. The double table spot, as we mentioned, was really dumb. It just didn't make any sense in the fictional reality of wrestling. Going through a table does a wrestler a lot of damage in the storyline. Mm-hmm. So why would Saturn set up a move where before he even hits Raven, he has to go through the table himself? Yeah. He set up a spot where even if it goes right, it's like if someone had pulled Raven off the table that he's hitting first. He sets up a spot where he essentially misses the guy on the elbow drop. And, and then, then hits, hits the, the guy on the yeah, yeah, yeah. You're intentionally doing to yourself the thing that causes people to lose matches. Yeah. <laughs> it makes no sense why you would think to do that. But aside from that strange bit, it was a fun opener with a pretty nice sudden ending. I do totally agree that it feels weird that it goes past that big bit. Mm-hmm. But I think because of the weirdness of that bit, I'm kind of glad it did. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the, the last moment isn't that bizarre finish. <laughs> isn't the what the heck were you thinking? Right. Yeah. I can see that. So at Road Wild, this builds up to a triple threat Raven's Rules match involving Canyon, Saturn, and Raven, of course, since they all clearly don't get along. And Canyon, I guess, wanted to be friends with Saturn, but that didn't work out. So I'll just beat him up, too. <laughs> it's Canyon we're talking about. His, he makes interesting choices. Let's see that. Yeah, yeah. Considering how good friends he is with DDP, you'd think that we, he would have better foresight and planning. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> we go back to Gene Okerlund, who jokes that the flock dragging Raven out of the arena looks like the time that Gene got drunk. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what he's saying anyway. Mm-hmm. He welcomes Eddie Guerrero to the stage, as Eddie does his best sneer. You know, I think if anybody is eminently qualified to discuss a hair versus hair match, Eddie Guerrero... I believe I might be that person. First of all, you have your nephew, Chavo Guerrero, meeting the big Harlem Heat, Stevie Ray. 
I think that's going to give you a very unfair competitive advantage when later on you meet him in the actual hair versus hair match. You know, Gene, when I went home the other night looking and thinking at the match ahead, hair versus hair, Chavo, I can't deny but to admit that, yes, I was concerned a little bit, wacko, because I know that you're not really there. But, brother, when you really accepted to get in the ring, when you challenged Stevie Ray to get in the ring and wrestle him before you got a match with me, oh, man, did I know you were whacked out for sure. Brother, all I'm going to have to do is just come in and pick up what's left of you because you know what Stevie Ray's gonna do to you? He's gonna demolish you and just leave you lying in the ring with no hope whatsoever, Chowell. And just like a great uncle and loving uncle that I am, I'm just gonna come in, frog splash you, give you a nice haircut, and send you back home to mama. You really are going to give your nephew, if you win the match, a haircut. I am not only going to cut his hair, but in front of all these San Diego morons, I am going to shave his head. All right, a very determined Eddie Guerrero. First of all, it's going to be Stevie Ray and Chavo, and then hair versus hair. Eddie and Chavo Guerrero, uncle and nephew, right here at Bash at the Beach. Not Eddie's best promo. No. He kind of stumbles on his words a few times, and he doesn't seem to have quite worked out how he wants to say things. Yeah. Restarts a few sentences. Still, he gets his overall point across, Mm -hmm. and he makes it very clear that he's the bad guy out to humiliate his own nephew, so it does work. Yeah, for sure. He definitely lays on the foreshadowing pretty heavily. Yes. But how much emphasis is going to be on Stevie Ray's going to beat you and leave in the ring, and I'll just pick up the pieces. It's not subtle, but it is also wrestling, so. Very true. Yeah. You got to play to the people in the 73rd row. Exactly. Yeah, it's one of those ones where you get, a, you get his character across as well, which his sort of natural energy works, but yeah, he definitely doesn't have the, like, the exact wording down and the rhythm of it down, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Feels like a first draft of quite a good promo. Yeah. But as it is, it, it does work. And someone stumbling over their words, as long as they don't then say, oh, I screwed up. Can we do it again? Yeah, we're live, pal. We're live, pal, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not really a problem. It's just unusual coming from Eddie Guerrero. He's a, yeah. normally a very polished promo guy. If anything, this makes it sound less fictional. <laughs> so yeah, That's fair, yeah. yeah. If this had been, let's say, 2002, and he's doing the same promo for whatever reason, he might still have stumbled a bit, but he would have put it in line like, oh, Chavo's got to be so upset. I can't even think straight or something. Yeah. And then gone on and why would mess it up? So it's it's little things you pick up with experience that mm-hmm. you would have gotten later. Our second match is Kidman with Lodi versus Juventud Guerrera. The referee for this one is Mark Shooter Curtis. Kidman's entrance theme sounds a lot like Pearl Jam's Even Flow, which, given he's a member of the flock, is probably not a coincidence. No. Kidman looks a lot cleaner than in the early days of the flock, seemingly having dropped the implied heroin user part of the gimmick. Hoovy has sadly lost his mask since last year, but he makes it work, thankfully. He does, yeah. There's some wrestlers that lose the mask and kind of like that loses their identity, but Hoovy, I think, manages to just take that as an evolution of his character and keep it going. Absolutely, yeah. Rapid counters in acrobatics, but Hoovy gets the best of it. Hoovy clotheslines Kidman out, But as he prepares to dive, 
Logi drags him out, clubs him down, and holds him for a Kidman dive. But Hoovy dodges, and Kidman nails Lodi. Hoovy dives on both of them for good measure. More rapid counters lead to a high-velocity Kidman wheelbarrow suplex. That looked like it hurt. Yeah. And they fight out on the floor with barricade shots and a Hoovy side sunset flip powerbomb. Back in, Hoovy gets Kidman up top, but Kidman slugs him in the crotch, and Top Rope spinebusters him for two and a half. That also looked like it hurt. It did, yeah. The, the sudden stop of the end. Yeah. yeah. It's not the fall that kills you. That's true, yes. Lodi holds up a sign that reads, Weather's here. Hoovy's not beautiful. I have no idea what that means. I mean, I think he's trying to say that the weather here is beautiful, but Hoovy isn't. I get, maybe. But the the order is confusing. We're missing, like, a generous portion of that sentence in that case. Yeah. Maybe Eddie wrote the sign for him. Maybe, that, maybe. That explains it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll do you a favor. Like, I'll do one for you. They trade strikes and dodge clotheslines, but Hoovy rolls through a Kidman slam for two. Kidman dropkicks the heck out of him. Mm-hmm. Two counts off a Hoovy springboard Frankensteiner, Hoovy bridging suplex, Hoovy sambo suplex, Kidman rope spring bulldog, Hoovy double leg takedown roll up, and the Hoovy driver. Kidman spine buster, but Hoovy dodges the seven year itch, the shooting star press, and hits the 450 splash for the three count and the win. That did not look fun for Kidman at the end, as the replay clearly shows Hoovy's knees landing on Kidman. Yeah. Right in the gut. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Hoovy really needed to pull him just a little further out from the corner. Yeah. He gets too much distance on his jump. Thoughts on this one? I thought this was a really fun match. It was a good showcase for both men. This is around the time they're trying to separate Kidman from the flock. This is a good test. Obviously, he still has most of his flock identity. He's really just changing from his weird t-shirt mm-hmm. to his tank top. And he's pretty much there as far as look goes. Yeah, yeah, he's lost the, like, gimmick that was the kind of implied heroine use. Right now, he's on this, like, black shirt with an onk. Like you said, one shirt change away from just being Kidman that yeah. we all know and love. Well, weirdly, he's black shirt also tucked in. Does it yes, that was uh, an interesting choice. I don't know, yeah, does it, is it better for your wrestling if your shirt's <laughs> tucked in? I don't I'm, know. I'm thinking, because the commentators actually specifically mention it's tucked in, I'm thinking it might actually be intended to show separation again between mm-hmm. his okay. old prior, more grungy look where he was just kind of a total mess, and then now he's, you know, kind of cleaned up his act, so I guess tucking in your shirt is part of cleaning up your act. I guess I mean, so. my shirt's untucked, so clearly I'm a disaster of a person. Yeah, you really need to get some help. Yeah, yeah, you too. You too, man. Mm-hmm. I've accepted that, though. <laughs> we both got problems. Yes. But yeah, you know, I, I like this match, even though there's definitely no build for the Sadal, but it's one of the ones they just basically said, you guys go out, do all your stuff. It looks really great. The Lodi interference is thankfully pretty minimal. He's there for setup, and that's it. I was thinking about this, too. It's a little weird. There's like, I don't know how many flock people at this point. There's seven or eight of them at this point, I think, intermittently. There's, mm-hmm. a, good, there's a good number. There's more than five, I'd just say. Yeah, I think so. So you see two of them out, and then you see one of the same people out in this match as well. Yeah, it was a little weird that we didn't have a different flock member. I guess everyone loves Lodi. I guess so. What I like is they keep a good pace going as well. There's an issue you can have sometimes with big high spot matches where you do a spot and there's a long pause. You can't even get transitions right. Like You go right from big spot to big spot. Mm-hmm. Getting to there is always the key, the sort of je ne sais quoi, I guess, 
you got to get that. I think they do a pretty good job of that, of doing you know nice setup moves to a big dive and so on and so forth. As a whole, I thought they did a really good job with this match. So on the on Kidman's kind of slow gimmick change here, I think we might have talked about this when we were watching the show. It's a little weird to me that they start moving him away from the very negative gimmick, the you know drug abuser gimmick. Yeah. Well, he's still part of the flock. Is that weird to you? I can see that. Yeah. You you, you maybe want to be the flock breaks up and you see like him talking to Saturn and he comes like, right shows up like two weeks later and he looks really different. Yeah, you don't have to ever like say it right out of the open, but it feels like he should only get to this midway point of cleaning up his act once he's, at the very least, having problems with Raven. Right, yeah. Like, Raven should be using this to keep control of him. Yeah. Not as mind-blowing as some other Lucha or Cruiserweight matches that we've seen, but this was still a lot of fun. Hoovy and Kidman had some really nice counter sequences and showed off their acrobatic abilities and their ability to take a hard landing. Yeah. Some of those moves had impact. <laughs> I appreciate again that Lodi got involved, but only to a limited degree. Mm-hmm. He probably actually could have gotten a tad more involved. You can see him in the background as Hoovy hits the 450, but he just kind of stands there until the move is hit, then charges over to try and make the save far too late. Oh, okay, yeah. It felt a little bit like Chono last year, where you can see his buddy's in trouble, but he doesn't try to save him when he clearly can. So I think it's just that he's looking when he's not supposed to be yet. Yeah, I can see that. Still a good match, but with a painful-looking ending. Mm-hmm. Not, a, not a knock on the previous Raven-Saturn match, but I feel like they could have switched these matches around, and you could have had more story that way. <clears throat> you have Kidman lose the match, and maybe he's being helped out by Lodi, and you know, Raven comes out for his entrance during that, shoves Kidman down, but you know, typically tells Lodi to go with him, so he, he has Lodi leave, you know, leave Kidman there, and Kidman sort of kind of crawled back or get help, Yeah, that kind of thing. Especially if you're aiming, like you said, to kind of start Kidman on his way out of the flock. Yeah. Then that's a good way of doing it. And there's a couple points where Lodi gets hit during this match. Mm-hmm. So it would also help with your express problem of the first match where, mm. you know, he gets hit one time by Saturn and he's down for a longer time. If he's already taken some damage, yeah. then that that's fair, that yeah, kind yeah. of helps with that. And and just in general pacing, I probably would have put this one first as well. Mm-hmm. The other one was not bad at no. all as an opener, but if you've got both of these on the show, this one's more high energy the whole way through, get the crowd charged up, then they'll be in the mood, I think, for the a little bit more storyline-focused uh, Saturn Raven one. Right, I, I actually, that this will be. Plus, again, you'd have Kidman losing for the flock, but then Raven winning, although yeah. through a complicated we- means, so... Again, you have more for Raven as a character as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the time Road Wild would come around in a few weeks, Hubi would become the number one contender to the Cruiserweight title. We cut to the internet table where Lee Marshall is interviewing Conan for the WCW website. It's like somebody switched on the switch, and all of a sudden, everybody wants to hang with K Dog. Everybody, everybody wants to be rowdy, rowdy, and bowdy, bowdy, but I know everybody can't hang with you. It's yeah, just like the switches in a lowrider, like the hydraulics going up and down, side to side, pancake. That's why we're hot right now. I think, you know, who don't want to hang out with the capo? Kevin Nash, Sting, Lex Luger, Macho. I mean, I could, you know, hey, man, we're going to have this party down in T. You know what? What's it? I got a question, Lee. Yeah. This sweet shirt you got on, man. 
Did, did Skittles have a shirt giveaway? No, you, you won that or You what? don't recognize this game from Sanchez the Hatter in East L.A. I'm uh, surprised you don't have a closet full nah, of this. Nah, nah, man. But, you know, my tío Chuy and my Aunt Marta, yeah. they're out in the parking lot, man. They're selling some fish. No, no, no. You can hear all that exciting action on the internet. Lee Marshall and Conan's car show and fashion commentary, apparently. Yeah. Honestly, I'd be kind of up for that. This didn't really need to be on the show, though. Normally, they do a better job of at least showing a clip of one of these that clearly relates to the match that the wrestler is going to have. Yeah. But this was just kind of random discussion. Yeah, I mean, you get the point across that, hey, we're the wolf pack and we're really cool. But yeah, other than that. It's- yeah, it's it just establishes his basic character. It says nothing about Disco. I, yeah. I guess maybe you could take it that Lee's opening statement is about the fact that Disco is going to imitate Conan's catchphrases when he comes out. Mm, I but- suppose, yeah. It's like barely, barely related. Yeah, I would have Conan, you know, do his line about how cool we are and all that, want to be like us, and then turn that into an insult on Disco. Yes, yeah. Thus giving us some storyline for this match, which would be nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our third match is Stevie Ray versus Chavo Guerrero Jr. Referee for this one is Scott Dickinson. So Eddie has been antagonizing and sort of insulting and degrading his nephew Chavo for weeks and months at this point. So for instance, he would walk out on him during a tag team match that he didn't get beaten up, or he'd challenge someone like say Scott Norton to a match. Now actually I can't wrestle the night, but Chavo will do it, just sort of throw him into the ring, that kind of stuff. This finally makes Chavo snap and he goes against his sort of unofficial code he had going, which is he had lost a match and he agreed to be subservient to Eddie. Hmm. He finally did too much of that he couldn't do it anymore. Around this time, there's a bit on Thunder where Stevie Ray is having issues with Booker T, which I'll get into for their segment. So Chavo comes out and, you know, this way he's full on crazy. He's trying to, like, console him and say, you know, I, I understand what you're going through. We, you know, we could be friends. You know, we can relate to this kind of thing. Stevie Ray, of course, does not like that and sort of leaves and Chavo is not happy about it. The same night, also on Thunder, we would get a very interesting in-ring segment where Chavo would go into the ring with the lights down low set a cartoon trap, the one where you put a box and the ro- uh, put bait inside of it and you pull the string. Wow. And he literally writes Acme Eddie Trap on the box, in case you don't get it. What the he puts a burrito on a plate, by the way. Which I guess it's okay if he does it. Let's go with I that. Yes, yeah. Maybe. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he goes outside the ring, he's holding the rope. It's supposedly hidden, right? Because the house lights are down. But he's also on the house mic saying, you know, here, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. <laughs> So he's not quite clear on how stealth works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm at this point, I'm better at stealth in, in games than he is, which is sad. I mean, admittedly, one of the greatest stealth characters of all time thinks that you sneak around places easily by putting a cardboard box on and crawling around in the open. So Yeah, he, 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 learned, he learned the wrong lesson from this segment, clearly. Yeah, yeah. Unsurprisingly, this fails, and Eddie attacks him, during which he takes a pair of scissors that Chavo brought out because he's going to cut the rope and drop the thing right. down. And he cuts a big chunk out of Chavo's hair. Oh, okay. So the next week on Nitro, Chavo comes out wearing a hard hat to cover up the incident, wins his match, and challenges Eddie to a hair versus hair match. I saw the interaction with Chavo and Stevie Ray, but I looked, there's no point that I could see where he actually challenged Stevie Ray to a match. Oh, interesting. Unless it's a bit where the announcer just say during a random match, I maybe there's yeah. no in-ring promo where he s- says it. Nor does he, like, end the in-ring segment with, with Stevie Ray challenging him, so... Okay. 
just something that has clearly happened, but we don't know exactly when. Exactly. Stevie is in his red outfit tonight. Chavo has a swim ring and a super soaker, and wears a shirt stating Eddie Guerrero is my favorite wrestler. He sprays the super soaker over the crowd. Eddie comes out to watch, showing off some scissors. Chavo asks for a microphone and dedicates the match to his favorite wrestler, Eddie Guerrero. I think he also calls him like a little trooper or something yes. like that. <laughs> That's an insult he had been given by Eddie. So he oh, okay, around, yeah. gotcha. Stevie looks very annoyed. <laughs> Chavo dodges Stevie, makes muscle poses, and offers a handshake. Stevie begrudgingly takes his hand, and Chavo immediately falls to his knees and submits, giving Stevie the win. <laughs> Stevie is enraged, but the ref holds him back from Chavo as the match is over. Chavo gets the microphone and tells Eddie that he's really exhausted from that match, but it's time for Chavo and Eddie to wrestle. Eddie throws a tantrum and yells at Stevie, who glares at him, so Eddie loses all bravado and backs down. Mm-hmm. Huge Eddie sucks chant from the crowd. Thoughts on this one? <laughs> I think it's a fun bit of misdirection here, mm-hmm. to their credit. They obviously could have added work like a short singles match and had trouble find some way to like get sneaky pin or like trick him into, you know, and knock him over or something. This way protects TV Ray a bit more, which is yes. nice. Yeah. They don't actually have him lose. They have him just be her befuddled by everything going on. I also like they didn't draw this out too much. So on the 2000 show, they would have done all that nonsense before the handshake and just popped into the ring like three or four more times. Then they would have really stretched it out. Yeah, yeah. I think as a whole, they got the good length on that one. Yeah, yeah I mean, this is just a trick by Chavo. It's not an actual match. Right. But it is, it is quite funny and... It makes sense in context of his storyline with Eddie that he's trying to get Eddie off guard by making Eddie think that he's going to be weaker for his match than he actually is. Mm -hmm. So it's actually a clever bit of planning, not just a weird crazy person trick. Exactly, (laughs) So our fourth match is Eddie Guerrero versus Chavo Guerrero Jr. in a hair versus hair match. Referee is Charles Robinson because I guess Scott Dickinson was also exhausted after that epic. I wonder if you get paid the same amount per match, like for that. I hope so. <laughs> Scott Dickinson made out made out like a bandit on this one. Then he's like, "I don't want to tell you guys. I'm ready for a whole match. I don't know what they're going to." Yeah, do. yeah. A ticked off Eddie Guerrero gets in the ring and shouts at Chavo, but Chavo just mocks him. Get a strange start as Chavo dominates, annoys Eddie with silly dancing, and repeatedly bites Eddie in the buttocks to the amusement of many small children in the audience. It got a good reaction to the crowd. To be fair. Yeah, yeah, most mostly from kids, though. Oh, sure, yeah. Oh, Eddie finally sneaks in a drop kick to Chavo's knee on a corner break and beats the crap out of Chavo with drop kicks, a suplex, dives, and a barricade smash. And a guy in the crowd taunts Eddie, showing off his very Ricky Morton-esque mullet. Oh, yeah. Heenan notes that the two are close in age, but Eddie is far more experienced, and Tony nicely used that to segue into talking about world champion Goldberg, saying, some guys just learn fast. Mm-hmm. Eddie puts on his dad's gory special. Chavo breaks free, but Eddie lariats him flat. Chavo takes back over with a head-scissor takeover and a monkey flip that sends Eddie legs first into the ropes. Eddie dodges a Chavo springboard dive into the ring. Chavo lands hard, but rolls through and tilt-whirl backbreakers Eddie, but then sells his own back. Mm -hmm. Eddie sends him outside and beats him up, exposing the concrete, but Chavo reverses a suplex for his own onto the concrete. Back in, and Eddie's superplex leaves both men down for seven. 
Chavo slams Eddie and tries Eddie's frog splash, but Eddie gets his knees up and hits Chavo's own tornado DDT. Mm-hmm. Eddie goes for the scissors, but Robinson won't let him cut since he hasn't, you know, actually won. Yeah. Chavo dodges the frog splash and hits the tornado DDT, but he goes for the scissors. Robinson stops him too and nearly gets scissors in his face for his trouble when he's pulling Chavo's arm back. Yeah. That was scary. Mm-hmm. Speaking of scary, Eddie rolls Chavo up while the scissors are still in Chavo's hand for the three count and the win. <laughs> Minor miracle that nothing went wrong there. Yeah. Chavo goes to cut Eddie's hair anyway, but Robinson won't let him. Robinson takes the scissors and retrieves some clippers from ringside, giving them to Eddie. Eddie taunts Chavo as Robinson sets up the chair. Chavo steals the clippers and tells Eddie to sit down. Eddie, correctly, notes that Chavo lost, not him. Mm -hmm. Chavo lunges for Eddie, but Eddie shoves him away, so Chavo suddenly starts shaving his own hair. Chavo yells at Eddie, variously asking Eddie to shave Chavo's hair or saying that they should match, and Eddie looks freaked out and retreats. Chavo calls him a wacko. Chavo gets his super soaker, shaves his head and one armpit, and takes drinks from the soaker before using it to spray hairs away. Robinson gives some pointers as he works. All told, it is one of the safer shaves after a hair versus hair match that I've ever seen since Mm -hmm. the guy's doing it himself. That's true, yeah. He does miss large patches, though. Yeah, it was only finished that in the back. Yeah, proclaiming he likes the look, he heads backstage, where I do imagine he quickly asked Eddie for help finishing the job properly so it wouldn't look ridiculous at the airport. You don't want to look like, say... uh uh, John Tenta. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah look at John Tenta with his his half of his, his hair and half his mustache. Especially if you're not as big as John Tenta. <laughs> That's true. People are going to look at you funny. They're not going to say a d- word to you. Yes, <laughs> you're John Tenta. Thoughts on this one? I thought this is a really strong match. Great example of what you get when you have two guys that know each other. Literally, I, I wrote fam- familiarity, and obviously that's very literal in this case. Yes. But yeah, there's nice little bits throughout the match where they build off previous matches or previous like, things with them. Like, again, they'd be trying their own finishers on, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, I like that bit. The bit where Eddie tries to use a brain buster on the floor, that's a callback to the attack that happened on Thunder. Oh, okay. He's beating up Chavo after the failed, the failed trap, quote-unquote, goes <laughs> awry, and he pulls the match down and knocks him out. That's why he's able to knock him out and cut the hair. Gotcha. Okay. So Chavo was ready for that spot because he's had that about a week ago. Good good build from previous story then. That's mm-hmm. nice. There's other things too, like you see where the timing is so key. Like when Chavo sits up from the Sprock Splash instead of, say, rolling away. Because the timing of that, we discussed, is very important. Yes. You're a few seconds late, he's coming down on your head. You too early, then, you know, you have a Saturn bit where he still jumps even though you see you're not there anymore. You set up late, your Randy Savage on Kevin Nash's elbow drop from a few shows ago. Yeah. Or the, um, I forget the name. The I believe it's a Night Stalker. Night Stalker, I think, versus Vader, where he yeah. sits up and gets a head full of Vader. Yes. No one wins in that scenario. <laughs> no. So originally when we watched Matthew, I didn't like the intro part as much. I thought it was a weird distraction, and then they had a regular match. But looking at it more fully with the buildup, I think it kind of works. To your point, it does really play to one part of the demo, but I think as a whole, people really get into the idea that Chavo is misdirecting Eddie. Eddie's so ready and so angry at him ready, and he's countering him. He's, you know, dotting out of the way. He's doing, they can get mad and kick the corner. He's doing a little dance and everything. I think because it's only an intro and then they work a straight match, I have no problem with it. 
My only real problem with it, I think, is the butt biting. Mm. <laughs> that goes a little bit weird, a little bit far, I think, for the weirdness factor. Like the little funny dancing. Honestly, even if he did like biting somewhere else, maybe, but the, the butt biting is just weird. It kind of works though for me because he's yelling at the ref and he's trying to like, he's trying to like have the ref look at it and the ref's like, I'm not looking at that. Uh, yeah, Rob Robinson's reaction does does sell it quite well. Yeah. Well, and the speed that he can do that little run on his knee. He is great he, at yeah. I have never seen anyone able to do this. Yeah, it's like I said, it's not he's not crawling on his knees. Yeah. He is running on his knees somehow. Yeah. I don't know how he does it. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like he's got roller skates on his knees. Yeah, because I mean you can't lift your legs up that much from that position that he's makes he must make a lot of really quick short steps, but does it so quickly, it's a matter of seconds he gets to the corner. He's so fast. It's it's incredible, yeah. The finish is an interesting situation because I think as a whole it works because Chavo's not beaten clean and humiliated by Eddie. It's a case of where him being crazy, essentially, and overanxious does hurt him because he tries what Eddie tried to him, do with him yeah. with scissors. And Eddie, again, having five times in my experience, they say, wrestled for 10 years, Chavo for two, is able to turn that around on him. So that leaves you more room to do stuff with the pair as well. I think in this case, I don't mind that kind of finish rather than a clean finish or, okay. or a more straightforward finish, I'd say. Yeah, for me, there was a bit too much comedy stalling to start. But once this got going, it was a nice, intense battle between family that did a good job of building up how well the two knew each other, especially with Chavo countering some of Eddie's usual tricks. The ending was a little weird to me. I would kind of get them both going for the scissors mid-match like as a demoralizing taunt if they've stunned the guy but don't feel they've got the win yet. Yeah. But both guys instead do it when they have actually just hit a finisher. Mm-hmm. In both cases, Chavos. True, they, yeah. They could just go for the pin and win. Slightly odd ending aside, though, this was a lot of fun once it got going, and the crowd was clearly enjoying the early comedy bits. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily mind that aspect as much as you do, I think, because it goes Eddie doing it, even though he does him with a big move, he may be more interested in humiliating Chavo and then beating him, you know, an extra sort of extra dash of salt, I guess you could say. And Chavo's is a response. If they'd reverse that somehow, they were like, if Chavo tries it and then stopped first, I wouldn't like that as much. Hmm. I think I would actually like it more if only Chavo did it hmm. because it would fit the Chavo is a little bit kooky gimmick. Because clearly, well, the bit with Stevie Ray was a plot. Yeah. Clearly from some of his other behavior, he is a little bit. Yeah. bonkers so i i don't think i would have so much of a problem with it if he does it but eddie is the wily tactician mm-hmm. like i said it would make sense to me if he had hit something other than a finisher if the message here is he genuinely doesn't think he can win the match here mm-hmm. but he recognizes chavo's out so he's trying to demoralize him for the next five minutes of the match that he thinks is going on but he's just hit a finisher just pin the guy for me it was it's like the thing we criticize so much where it's like Oh, I hit a finisher. Now I'm going to pin the guy for two and pull him up to beat him up more. No, just pin the guy, then beat him up more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if if you win this match, you get to cut Chavo's hair. Right. It's something I was briefly discussed the logistics of what happened if they'd actually cut any hair. If presumably, if you cut any part of their hair before that you actually won, that's a disqualification, right? I I would say so. Yeah. Okay. Like in a mask versus mask match. 
you're not allowed to take the mask off until the until you've won the match, right? Like I think well, yeah. I think actually standard lucha rules are if you demask your opponent, that's a DQ. Correct. Yeah. So, so I that's kind that's of gray or use that example necessarily, but yeah, I, I get the idea. But you, but I mean that's yeah, like you are going for the reward of the match right, yeah. before you've won the match. I'm I would say I would DQ you. That would would definitely be a more demoralizing finish. Chavo like cuts it, the snip off of his hair. He's disqualified, and it's got to sit there and have his head shaved. Yeah. He went, boy, my play had backfired. <laughs> he played the uh, Kirby Enthusiasm music or something. <laughs> yeah, I think overall, I I quite liked this match. I just I could do with a little bit less of the intro section, but again, once once they get to the straight up fighting, they did an amazing job with this. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. In the falling bits, Eddie would sort of take a, a slightly softer turn in that he start to feel a little bad if he realized how crazy Chavo is. Mm-hmm. So it would lead to a bit where Stevie Ray started and beat him up and Eddie would come out to help him. Now, unfortunately, we don't get too much more of this because I think it's shortly after Road Wild, Eddie gets in a backstage incident with Eric Bischoff, complaining about a bunch of gripes and grievances people in the lower card have about you know whether it's pay or TV time, promo time, etc. And depending on who you ask and when you ask, Either Eric Bischoff threw coffee on him or accidentally spilled coffee on him. But it led to a brief bit where Eddie's trying to do these like shoot promos about fire me. But then he actually does just leave for a few months until they start the LBO thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, so unfortunately we don't get like another follow-up Eddie Chavo match from this. Yeah, that's that's a shame because it is kind of developing the angle in interesting ways. Yeah. You know, with Eddie still being Eddie, but mm-hmm. having a little bit more sympathy for Chavo because he's like, oh, maybe I went too far. See, my, my God, what have I done? Yeah, yeah. Thing, yeah. I could see that going some interesting ways potentially in a uh, continuing angle. So it's a bit of a shame that we don't get that really. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Tony and Tanay talk up the situation between Chris Jericho and Dean Malenko, with Malenko snapping after Jericho's taunts and getting suspended. He then builds up how much Jericho has done to try to duck Malenko, including going to Congress and the White House. That's true, yeah. It's time for the next match, which is not something with either guy they just discussed. Yep. (laughs) Our fifth match is Disco Inferno with Alex Wright versus Conan with Lex Luger and Kevin Nash. Referee for this one is Billy Silverman. I honestly don't know why this match is happening at all. The last time we see Conan is on the Go Home Thunder. Mind you, almost no one watches Thunder at this point, but still. There's a singles match between Stevie Ray and Conan. Stevie Ray is part of his story, which I'll get into. Loses the match via qualification and takes out Conan with the chair shot to the head. So, of course, Conan's going to fight Disco. I mean, Stevie Ray is busy. He had, he had that epic match. I mean, there's no way you could ask Stevie to have another match tonight after, after that. Yeah. Obviously, knowing what's happening later, I guess you couldn't work anything with Stevie Ray and Conan, and I don't think they're planning to anyways. But it's weird to have him take him out with a chair shot and they go, oh, well, what, what's for lunch? You know, My personal headcanon for this match is that it was supposed to be Conan versus Stevie Ray, mm-hmm. but Stevie Ray was busy killing Chavo Guerrero backstage. Ah. So like Stevie has time for a match. And he was like, I'm busy. <laughs> Get someone else. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And obviously the best choice was Disco Inferno. Okay, sure. I mean, Alex Wright was right there. <laughs> yeah, very true. No he was intended. he was right to there, yeah. Yes. Disco now resides in Funky Town, apparently. 
He dances in, wearing a rather nice shiny shirt. I do like how they show his entrance superimposed on a disco ball. That is a nice little touch to his entrance. Yeah. Wright does some dancing, too. Uh, you, you mentioned you were confused as to why this match was happening. So are the announcers. Mm-hmm. Tony eventually says this is a bonus matchup and special added match. Yeah. But he sounds very flustered when Disco's music starts up at first. Yeah. If in 2000, they go, this isn't on the plan or yeah. on the script. or you This know. may be a case where it legitimately wasn't. Yeah. Or- well, this is on the program. That's what we're looking for. Yeah, it's on the program. Alex Wright grabs a microphone and intros the two in German. Disco and Alex do Conan's normal introduction spiel to booze, and Disco says he's not sure what all that means. Tony admits he doesn't either. Oh, <laughs> The crowd's probably there to see him and Wright dance, though, so Disco calls for his music. But instead, NWO Wolfpack theme count, one. Conan enters, followed by Luger and Nash. Disco and Wright escape the ring as Nash and Conan run through their usual intro spiels. Nash and Luger go to ringside, and Disco comes in, and it's time for the actual match at last. Conan easily demolishes Disco with strikes and throws and earns two with a sunset flip after Disco tries to punch free but pauses to dance. <laughs> Conan face buster and rolling lariat, but Disco punches free of the cradle DDT and throws Conan out for Wright to sneak in some strikes. Luger, though, taps Wright on the shoulder, ducks a punch, and muscles him into the torture rack. He has a little more trouble with that than I expected, but I think it's because Wright is, like, overselling, wriggling around. Yeah. It's actually kind of neat because it's it's Luger legitimately wrestling him into position for it. That's true, yeah. Like, the guy is not really cooperating, but Luger can still do it. Normally, yeah, he just sort of leans over and they, like, lifts him up right into it. Yeah. Well, Silverman checks on that, Nash hits the jackknife powerbomb on Disco, and as Silverman returns, Conan locks on the Tequila Sunrise for the submission win. NWO Wolfpack theme count, two. Tanae jokes that we saw the Wolfpack hat trick with all three of the guy's finishers. Tony points out Antoine Carr, Carl Malone's teammate on the Utah Jazz, cheering at ringside. He says several other basketball greats are also attending, but I don't recall us ever getting a shot of any of them. Thoughts on this one? It's a pretty nothing affair. I mean, Conan basically does his spots, gets countered, and then they go right to the finish where the Faces, the popular, everyone loves them at this point anyways, Wolfpack faces cheat to win. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, in their defense, they cheat after the other side cheats, but still, you know. So this finish relies on Billy Silverman being so distracted by what's happening aside. He doesn't notice Nash go into the ring, hit his big boot, and then the jackknife, and then go over the top rope as slowly as Nash always does. He doesn't notice one of the largest men in the universe... You know, sneaking into the ring. Yeah. Because stealth would not be possible for you at that size. No. And two very loud crashes. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I noticed, especially on rewatch, is that Disco rolls over onto his stomach after the bump sort of sell it. So Conan goes to put his hold on him. Conan rolls him back over into his back to roll him into his submission. <laughs> Even though he could have just grabbed his arm and leg... Why he's there. He's like, I have a very specific way of putting this on. <laughs> Conan's OCD is just so overpowering. <laughs> it, it would happen like if, in the video game, right? Yeah, yeah, you exactly. You bend back and it would, it would typically have you roll back over and then roll back again. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Didn't think to program the animation another way, yeah. No. <laughs> so there's nothing in the match I could talk about. The thing I found funny is that Disco comes out and talks. Alex Wright does his bit and talks in German. Then you have Nash and Conan talks. 
And Luger is also there. Yeah. But nothing to say? You just, no, you pay, pay Luger, Luger speaks speak? with his actions. Oh, okay. <laughs> and his Luger selling. That's true, yeah. <laughs> it's almost the same he did in Luger sell from like the incidental conduct that Alex Wright's doing. Like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Genuinely, if you want some some absolute comedy gold, watch Luger's expression while he's muscling him up there. He gets this this look on the like, come on, dude, stop trickling around. <laughs> yeah. That's enough. <laughs> the other thing I noticed is the absence of Sting. Oh, right. He's with the Wolfpack now, isn't he? Yeah. <sighs> I've seen, I mean, I, I've had to watch like three Wolfpack squash matches. That's all they really do on the show at this point. I'm kind of glad Sting isn't on the show. I, I like to pretend that that period of Sting's career does not exist mm-hmm. when he actually joins an NWO faction. It's like, <sighs> we've, we've been over that. I won't give it. Yeah, get yeah. on my rant again. <laughs> no, uh, no, toma- no tomato Sting, sadly, <laughs> tonight. <laughs> This was a short match that really just seems to be there to get the Wolfpack on the show. Considering the importance of the Wolfpack versus Hollywood angle to WCW's 1998 and the big audience the WCW drew for this show, you'd really think they would have done more with these guys tonight, but ah, apparently not. Yeah, it's very strange. It's notable only for Disco's anti-character growth, where he's apparently unlearned any lessons that he learned from the match against Malenko on the 1996 show, yeah. and now he just dances and loses. This so was performed just fine, but it should have been on Nitro, not on pay-per-view. There's, there's nothing to it. Exactly, yeah. Oh, crap. We forgot to put the wolf pack on the show. I guess we better do something. What speaks to what's going on with the story, I mean, there's no story going on with the wolf pack in Hollywood not that warranted a pay-per-view yeah, match, apparently. which is weird, because that's like, there are two focal angles for 1998. One is Goldberg's Rise, and the other is NWO versus Wolfpack. And I, I, I do remember that was our one of our major problems with Starcade 1998 as well. Like yeah. this whole Wolfpack versus Hollywood thing, I recall being barely involved with that show as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. Biggest angle of the year. And you're like, uh, I guess we'll just not really do anything about it. <laughs> it. It's very strange that like if you on paper, you read that that's the most important part of the story or one of the main stories. But yeah, on TV, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Disco would team up with Alex Wright on the next show against the Public Enemy, who instantly he's actually feuding with during all this. They're fighting on Nitros and Thunders, building up to this show where he fights Conan. This also introduces Tokyo Magnum. It's a tag team match where he's out with his with his actual Japanese partner, but he he likes the music, so he pops in the middle when the two are dancing to join them. They don't like it, and it's the whole thing. <laughs> so yeah, there's more about Public Enemy and. Alex Wright Disco than Conan. Okay. Very strange. Our sixth match is The Giant versus Kevin Green in a special challenge match. Referee for this one is Nick Patrick. This is the first of two matches with a pretty notable change to them at the very, very last minute. So after the Great American Bash, Hennigarud, who are now part of the NWO Black and White, they would challenge Goldberg, who at this point is has his big undefeated streak, and of course he's U.S. champion. They you know, say that he has weaknesses that Hennig knows because he's so experienced. Mm-hmm. So an interesting bit where they say he's won like five or six world titles, and I guess they mean the AWA world titles, because I can't think of I think other he, ones. Yeah, he was AWA world champ, right? Yeah. So. It's a question whether, you, whether anyone counts that at certain points in history, but you know, I'm not going I'm, I'm kind to... Of, I'm less Hennig. surprised that WCW counts it than if the WWF did. True. Like the WWF is really aggressive about saying any other promotions other than us are not legitimate. Yeah. Even WCW at times, where WCW 
especially in like a few years ago when they were doing the Hall of Fame shows, mm-hmm. has a healthy respect for wrestling history. Yeah. It doesn't really surprise me if they regard the AWA world title as legit world title. Fair enough. On the same show as well, Kevin Green is visiting as he obviously he's been on the show numerous times. He'd be attacked by the giant, who's also part of the NWO Hollywood. Interestingly, this would lead to Kevin Green wrestling his only non-pay-per-view match. He'd wrestle on Nitro in one of the big matches against the Giant. I bet you can guess how it ends. Joke slam? Disqualification. Disqualification. Okay. It's it's a 1998 Nitro, Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've I've let myself down. (laughs) Goldberg would come and make the save, thus setting up a tag team match. However, two thunders back. TJ Dillon come out and announced that the number contender for the world title is now Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Which, to, to be fair, not getting into the whole is US champion and contender by default thing, which yes. they never can agree on. Goldberg at this point is, I think, 104 and no, or 103 or 404 and yeah. no. So undefeated and champion, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. You have the title that's normally or often on used as you're the number one contender, and you have an ungodly winning streak going on. Mm hmm. If they didn't declare you number one contender, it would be very weird. <laughs> yes. My only issue, as we'll talk about, is the timing of this. So this leads to the Go Home Nitro, the big Georgia Dome show where Hogan says, oh, I'm not going to defend the title, even though J.J. Dillon says he's contractually obligated to, so I don't know how that works. I guess he's just going to leave and I don't know. He says he's got to beat one of his NWO brothers, turns to be Scott Hall. So Gober beats Scott Hall in a match to get his title shot. And then beats Hulk Hogan in the main event of that Nitro, winning the world title and eventually abdicating the U.S. title. Yes. Which does, in fairness to them, as I recall, do Mondo TV numbers. It does, yes. That's kind of WCW's focus at this point. And to be fair, probably somewhat WWF's focus as well, beating each other in the TV rating. Yeah, it's true. And going back and forth. So they make this play for... TV ratings. Uh-huh. They do not make the right play for pay-per-view. No. <laughs> but they make the right play for TV ratings. And also, in fairness, this pay-per-view gets a huge buy rate still. So, mm-hmm. as you noted, there's a problem of timing with this. Mm-hmm. I think in the long run, it would probably have been better for them to do this on a big show. Mm-hmm. But I guess in the moment, you know, yeah. you can go either way on their strategy. So anyway, so that after that happens... On the go home thunder, we get a brief where Jada Dillon comes and talks to the camera. He like just apparently just left the board meeting. He said that Gober was not required to drop his tag team match schedule for the show, but because her handing off camera challenged him to a title match for the NWO, he wants to be a fighting champion. Mm-hmm. So he's gonna fight Hennig. And apparently also off camera, Kevin Green said, Oh, I'm fine with that, because the Giants a guy I want to fight anyways. It's weird they don't have them say it, or Hennig make the challenge, but yeah, that's how we get here. There's a sudden abrupt turn right before, leading to a random singles match featuring a football player who, to be fair, has wrestled, I think, three matches, definitely four. So yeah. it's not, he's not Rodman. Yes. <laughs> Which is always a plus. NWO theme count, one. It begins. It does. Heenan jokes that the Giant puts on more pounds than Goldberg puts on wins. Giant actually looks quite good today, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Carolina Panthers football player Kevin Green enters wearing an all-pro shirt and football eye black just in case you had any doubt what his actual career was. A fan shows off a Carolina Panthers banner. Tanae notes that Giant is 9 inches taller and over 160 pounds heavier than the biggest man that Green faces in football. Mm-hmm. Green dodges around and slaps Giant, but Giant roars, so Green gets the heck out of there. Giant chases, but Green punts the top rope into his crotch. Green lands charging strikes, but an annoyed Giant catches and slams him, then beats him up, tearing at his wonderful hair. Heenan jokes it's time for the halftime report, and Tony quips, yeah, Half of Kevin Green there and half of Kevin Green here. It's a good line, yeah. Tanae reminds us that Giant, like Goldberg, had a fast rise. Faster, in fact. Giant won the world title in his first match with WCW in his only second match ever. That's true, yeah. Giant shrugs off Green's attempts at comebacks, but Green stuns him with some barricade and ring post rams. A nice, green, diving forearm floors Giant for two, and he works the leg with a three-point stance charge and kicks, but on another charge, Giant grabs him and chokeslams him with great hang time mm-hmm. for the three count and the win. NWO theme count, two. Mm-hmm. Giant gives the camera a good glare as he leaves, and Green sells like an absolute champ as Patrick checks on him. Thoughts on this? So this is a fairly basic match, but it's kind of what you'd expect given that it's Kevin Green, who again is only his fifth match, and it's a Giant who... It's weird to think the Giants a veteran in this situation. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, obviously he is. He's been wrestling for about three years at this point, a little two and a half years. Yeah, years. yeah. He's at the point in his career where he can handle, to some extent at least, a match with a less experienced guy. Yeah. And especially Giants, just, he is good. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's all basic stuff. It slams and punches and pushes. There's nice little flourishes with Green doing his football stuff in there. And his diving form into the ring is really nice. Mm-hmm. It's weird that the comparison is so, but it reminds me a lot of AJ Styles' springboard one he would do. The, yeah, yeah. It's phenomenal for him. Yeah, he, ha- he has this little snap at the end of exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's funny that that befuddles the commentators. They don't know what to call it. because they- Yeah, Tanae calls it a clothesline. Tony's like, I think it was more of a forearm. Tanae's like, it's a combination. <laughs> yeah, like I think they're, they're used to people just doing flying clothesline. They're like, mm-hmm. wait, what's the thing he did at the end? Yeah. Did you ever expect that the guy who would do a move that would confuse Mike Tanae would be Kevin Green? That is surprising. <laughs> I think my only real issue with the match, other than the you know the general simplicity, which is to be expected given who's involved, is that I think the finish felt very abrupt to me. I think the way it's executed, the actual choke slam is fine. I kind of wish he had done something other than just basically put his hand out and caught him as he ran at him. Like maybe you know he misses a corner dive and you grab him out of that, or he goes up top again and you grab him or something. I get that absolutely. This Kevin Green's not a regular performer there, so. Less of protecting him, and he's fine if he loses the wrestling match. And Giants, a big force you're keeping strong, but it's a very demoralizing victory for Green if you think about it. Because he's, he's fighting and fighting, and then he just runs in and gets immediately grabbed and slammed down and loses. It's to the Giant, so it's, there's no shame in losing the Giant, obviously, but I would have done it differently, I guess I'd say. It is, uh, it is almost identical to the ending of the uh, Sid Vicious and Sting match on Road Wild 1999. You know, I did, that did remind you of that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I still maintain Sid should have caught him during the move and walked out with him, but yes. Which Giant basically does. Yeah. Well, and sting, the Sting one is because he stops Sting and then does a regular choke slam. I meant like he held Sting in the air, but yes. Yeah. We were discussed that match before. <laughs> this was a much better match than I was expecting. 
considering it's between a football player and a wrestler who, while very good, is only in his third year of his career. Mm -hmm. Whoever put this together did a terrific job. Yeah. There's a good plot throughout. Green had a clear strategy throughout the match and loses mostly because he's misread how weakened Giant actually is. That's fair. So for me, it's a good rookie error storyline. Okay. And honestly, Green is quite fun to watch. He is, yeah. Based on this and his slambery 1997 performance, I would not have minded seeing him as a full-time wrestler. Mm -hmm. He always has a lot of energy, and he just seems willing to do what he needs to do for the match at all times. He does, yeah. One of the better choke slams I've ever seen in a giant match, too. He goes up for it really well. Yeah, he does. So this was a fun watch. Mm -hmm. I, I actually, I think I like the ending, the okay. way it's done. I think it it comes off very sudden. It feels angle-wise like Green thinks he's got Giant weaker than he does. Mm. He thinks, oh, I finally, finally nailed him. I can finally get sustained offense in. And that's when Giant's like, nope. Gets yeah, the hand yeah I don't hate the finish at all. I just, yeah, for me, I would like it was more of a, of a counter or escaping a move and then, which again, I think would still play into the, that mm -hmm. aspect. Yeah. It's not a bad finish. It's just not the one necessarily I would have booked if I was booking a wrestling match. You really wonder things done differently if we'd gotten the Goldberg and Green versus Giant Hennig match, what that would have been like. Yeah. I always wonder what that was like. There's, there's definitely some interesting like double spots that you could see happening with Goldberg and Green both being, yeah. you know, football guys. Uh, you know, Goldberg obviously no longer, but yes. he originally was. And then I think Hennig would be a good guy to like hold the match together, be kind of the glue is, with his greater experience. Mm -hmm. uh, one of Kevin Green's interview segments, they bring up that one of the few years that Goldberg did play football, he actually did play in the same team with Kevin Green as a rookie. Oh, really? They actually were roommates for that one season, yeah. That's so, cool. Yeah. So again, it's neat dynamic, and then we lose that because they hot shot the title. Yes. Honestly, it would have been weird but maybe interesting if you actually did still do the tag match but then also have a goldberg versus Hennig match for the title just have both of them say yeah we can wrestle twice yeah Hennig totally good and goldberg i mean he does actually demonstrate when they put him in longer matches that he does have good stamina yeah which makes sense he's a former football guy i mean that yeah. they have to yeah the only kind of i'd make to I guess to my own argument of canceling the tag match is that in a way is a good storytelling for goldberg I wish, just wish you would said this again. Just having someone tell me said is not the same as him saying. Right. It. Yes. The story here is that Goldberg now champion. He's not going to take a non-title tag match on the show. Right. Which is literally what Hogan was going to do up until that Nitro. Yes. If Goldberg had said, you know, I'm not afraid of a challenge. I'm not going to hide in tag match like Hogan or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been nice. That would have really pushed the story further. But mm -hmm. it's just idiot Dylan saying, "Oh, we changed the match. He's fine with it." And it'd be nice if we had. Like, if we couldn't get that match at this show, it would be cool if we could have gotten that match at some point. Yeah. Like, do that on Road Wild 1998 instead of the stupid Battle Royale that, that went nowhere. Yeah. Even just do on the next Nitro or something. Yeah. It's too intriguing of a match to lose. Exactly, yeah. Interestingly, this is actually Kevin Green's last wrestling match. Oh. We saw him before. I think he was playing for the Panthers. They didn't have a problem with him wrestling, so he wrestled a couple of matches around that time. He went to a different team that next season. 49ers, I think. I believe so, yes. Yeah. And they put a thing in his contract saying he couldn't wrestle during the season. Because there's almost a line during commentary in the match that he's getting ready for training camp, I think. Yeah, yeah. So this is interfering at the actual season, which makes sense. When he came back to the Panthers, which he's at now, they also put that in the contract. So that put the kibosh on things. Now, interestingly, Green actually retired after the 1999 season from football entirely. 
he said he would rather retire on top than try to keep going. Which mm-hmm. is fair play to him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a very accomplished football yeah. player. He was, yeah. So it's actually kind of surprising that this is his last match. Surprised they didn't get him back during 2000. Maybe he looked at WSW 2000 and was like, no, thank you, sir. <laughs> it is very possible, unless if you read like Ric Flair's book and how much he hated the company at the time, that maybe that did come up and Flair's like, don't, you do don't not be here, buddy. <laughs> you do not want to be here. Yeah. Vince Russo is going to turn you heel or do something stupid with you. So don't mm-hmm. do it. He'll have you attacked by an actual Panther, you know? Yeah. I'm not going to ask Flair that I can't ask him to read that. So I don't know. It's all, all theoretical. Yeah, all told, if this had to be his last match, I think it's a it's a good match to go out on. A nice, solid performance that proved that, hey, even though I'm a football guy, I can hang as an actual wrestler in a well-plotted match, and I can follow a match storyline. Mm-hmm. I think Kevin Green comes off, in, gen- in general in his appearances, comes off far better than a lot of the other uh, celebrity or athletics 100%. guys that we see in WCW or really anywhere in wrestling. He's one of, one of the best yeah. ones that comes in, I think. Hard to argue with that, honestly, yeah. As for the Giant, as we referenced a couple times, Giant went up in a big battle royal at Road Wild. Yep. The, the only guy other than Goldberg, I think, that comes out of that looking even remotely good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we cut to the internet table again, where Lee Marshall is with Kurt Hennig. These so-called unbeatable guys, but today, Bash of the Beach, it's you and Goldberg for the big strap, an unbeaten man, and what an opportunity for you to get back into the winner's circle today. Well, you know, if you think back, Lee, I'm the one who made the issue, the challenge out to Goldberg before he was WCW World Champion. I made that challenge to him because I know I have the secret. I know what it takes to beat Goldberg. You do? Of course I do. what is it? It's 17 years' experience. It's knowing the ring inside and out. It's knowing when to do things, how to do them, and where to do them. All right, you've obviously found Experience is what I'm talking Does about. Does he have a weakness, then? Of course he has a weakness well, in it. Inexperience. And his other weakness is, what's here? The lungs. <laughs> I'm the guy that can go all night. All I got to do is wear Goldberg down. Still kind of a short cut in and out here, but I'm glad this segment was much more relevant than the last internet chat segment. Yes. Hennig makes some good points about his experience relative to Goldberg, but he's just getting to the most interesting part, his tactic of making the match last so that Goldberg will tire when we cut away. Yeah. I guess that is a good argument for going to find the full internet chat to hear the full comment, but it would have been nice to have a little more of this one on the actual show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do like uh, Lee's kind of surprised laugh when he says lungs. Yeah. Because what's happening there, obviously this is an audio show, so you can't see it. What's happening there is Hennig has tapped his chest the way that you would when you're saying you got to have heart. Yeah. So when he says lungs, Lee is just like kind of a, wait, what? Yeah. (laughs) That wasn't what I expected you to say, but it makes sense like in his explanation what he's going for. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely good that they pick this, either this time to cut to or this time I don't, I don't know if this is actually live or that they cut at the right time. It seems unlikely, even their track record, that they cut just the right time to him talking about it. But yeah, it's probably pre-tape, but it's just fine. They do a much better job of making this part correspond to something that's actually going to happen on a show, probably because they actually have a plan for this one. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> or the other one, as we've established, kind of just came out of nothing. It, it exists. Yeah, it came out of the ether, yeah. Oh, hold on here. J.J. does not need to be in the middle of this thing. 
You both have been put on written notice that there's to be no physical contact between either of you prior to Bash at the Beach on Sunday. And if either of you makes a move and touches the other, immediate disqualification for Bash at the Beach. We both grew up without our father's guidance. We both grew up with our fathers on the road, missing him, just as your young daughter misses you while you're on the road, Dean. And think about your dad. Think about how lonely he must have been. Every night in a different city, every night in a different hotel, he must have craved human companionship. And think about how hard it must have been for your mother. And have you ever wondered why you and your brother look absolutely nothing alike? That's enough. Oh. That's enough. He snapped. He snapped. And do you blame him at all? I would have snapped before. And I, let's not pull him off. Turn him loose. You're not kidding. Turn him loose. We cut to a video package covering the Malenko-Jericho feud that gives a pretty good coverage of the escalating tensions, including Jericho insulting Malenko's recently departed father and getting slugged full in the face. I really hope that Malenko was okay with his dad's memory being part of this storyline. Yeah. It's it's definitely not the sort of thing you do without the family is okay. No, no. That said, I do love how Jericho builds to that. That It starts out in like a really sympathetic tone. Yeah. Like I'm trying to make a general, genuine connection with you. That's true, yeah. And then it's just like, you start getting this like, wait, where's this going <laughs> midway through? Yeah, yeah. So he does it very well, but I, I, I just, I really hope that they had prior discussed this and said what they were going to say. Cause, I, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. Given the, the, how long the two worked before and after, I'm sure. Yeah, they, they seem to have a good relationship overall. So I, I imagine that was not a surprise. Yeah, absolutely. Malenko even later attacks again and rips out chunks of Jericho's hair. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that's a reference to the uh, backstage fight uh, in 1997 between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. You know, I didn't even think of that, but that might be, yeah. Yeah, because I believe Jim Cornette described it as Bret having ripped out a squirrel-sized chunk of Shawn Michaels' hair. Yes, I believe <laughs> that's the case. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's that's mid-97, I believe. Yeah. I'm a timeline's right on that one. That would have been yeah, in the past, so I could see that. Yeah. I'm hoping those were actually hair extensions or something, not... Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's... I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little weird that Dylan, they can't quite get the explanation out quickly enough. Yeah. Like you, you, We disqualified from the match. Yeah, immediate disqualification at Bash of the Beach. Yeah, I, I get what he's going for, but yeah, the wording's a little bit weird because they got everything starting to kick off there. Yeah, but. <laughs> it's understandable, but yeah, it's, it's a little, little weird mix up there. Still better at making this point than Nick Bockwinkel, so. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> He'd still be here now explaining this point if it was Nick Bockwinkel. <laughs> Jericho remains champion and keeps uh, avoiding Dean Malenko. He finds ways to do it. He tries to escape the match two weeks out in an interesting fashion. He says he's got a strong challenger for his title. You know, this guy, he's going to come back from injury. You know, I'm legit scared of this guy when we'll take the challenge because I'm a brave fighting champion. It really brings out a different mini wrestler wearing a Mysterio mask, saying that's for Mysterio, who's back from injury, he's gonna beat me. And yeah, so it's it's a obviously a comedy angle bit where he tends to get beaten up. He literally like he goes to pin fake Mysterio, rolls himself and that guy over. Much in that weird way we'll see later with Kurt Hennig where he pulls David Flair to pin him. Oh right, yeah. But then he goes, Oh no, I've been beaten. I guess the I guess Rey Mysterio is now the number one contender to the title. I can't fight Dean Malenko, which is the, in the longer part of that promo before the bit they show, 
Dylan references, you know, that trick he tried on Thunder is not going to work. You still got to fight Dean. But then, as we saw, he says he's no contact clause. They had previously had a match, and Blinko snapped on him and lost via disqualification when they tried to turn the new champion, and that's part of the way they extended this feud. Jericho naturally insults Dean Malenko by calling him a bastard. And no, no need to censor that, because that is the literal actual term he's that, using that is, for That it. is true. For once, it's not a swear word, it's the actual word. So as we noted from that video package, there is now no match for Jericho. So I'm not sure what he's going to do when he comes out. Overdubbed theme count, three. Cruiserweight champ Jericho comes down to the ring with a top hat and cane in hand. Heenan calls him the world's toughest chimney sweep. Jericho gets a microphone. All right, all right, you all know the story. Stinko Malinko, you went and got yourself suspended. So you robbed all the fans of the match tonight. But I would never, ever rob the fans. I told you I was going to come out here and do a little soft shoe routine. I got my top hat. I got my cane. So I'm going to break it down for you and do a little soft shoe for you right now. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. What are you doing out here? Can't you see I'm going to do a little soft shoe for these people? Sing a little song? What's wrong wrong with you, man? Get a life, Jojo. Look, I just wanted to come out here and to say that maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I misjudged you. And if I was wrong about you, I would be the first one to come out here and publicly say I was wrong, offer an apology, let's let bygones be bygones. Thank you very much. It's about time. But I, I just sense that I, I'm surprised how many fans you really have. I have to admit it. Millions. Jericho-holics everywhere. And I, I sense that a lot of these people came here tonight, and I, I think there's a little bit of disappointment because they, they really wanted to see you wrestle. Not only see you wrestle, but they wanted to see you defend your belt. Yes, they did. I just think they're really disappointed. They are disappointed, but it's Malenko's fault. What can I do, Jojo? I'm here. He's not here. Well, I I, I didn't get a chance to discuss it with you before, but I got on the phone to see if there wasn't somebody I could find locally that maybe would come down here spur of the moment. And there was one guy that said, I'll come down, very short notice. You know, the thought of being in the ring with you, the champion, pay-per-view audience, millions of people said he would come down, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe, it, I mean, it's really up to you. A local guy? Yeah. An independent jabroni sort of thing? He, he hasn't wrestled in six months. So hasn't wrestled in six months, and he wants to come in the ring with me for a title shot. Not very experienced, young man. Can it still be a no-disqualification match? Huh? really want to know disqualification? Uh, well, I mean, this young guy's got to learn a trick or two from the master, from the master. He hasn't wrestled in six months. I mean, I that, might, that might be taking advantage. I'll tell you what. I'll bring this kid up to a different level. Bring in this jobber right now. Let me do a little match with him. I'll teach him a thing or two. Let's get this thing. Yeah, I'll do it. Sure, I got some time to kill. I think the people want to see me wrestle. That's why they came. Yeah, you're not kidding. We do. You'll accept it. Yeah, why not? Chris Jericho equals buy rate. All right, then it's official. We'll have a title match. Bring it in. 
Oh, hey. Hey, hey, if you know that music. We, we know that music very, very, oh, yeah. very well. The music hits. It's Zodiac. Yes? No, just kidding. It's Rey Mysterio Jr. Oh. <laughs> Jericho gives a really great, just shocked expression. I I love this segment because you can tell that J.J. Dillon used to be with the Horseman. Yeah. He, he's very clever about his presentation here. If you listen to him, he never outright lies That's true. to Jericho at all. He says, you know, he's a local talent, which yeah. Mysterio is. Mm-hmm. He says he's he hasn't wrestled in six months. When Jericho says independent guy, he doesn't actually say anything. Mm-hmm. That's where he says, oh, he hasn't wrestled in six months. So he passes off the only point where he would have actually potentially been telling a lie. That's true, yeah. <laughs> so he, he does a really good job of manipulating Jericho, showing that, you know, as good a manipulator as Jericho is— Dylan, as a former horseman manager, is yeah. better. <laughs> if you can trust anyone, it's Jotaro Dylan. <laughs> that was for Garrett. Yeah, 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 JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. That's that would be a very different show with JJ Dylan in it. Yeah, it, it is funny too. Uh, Jericho's expression when JJ Dylan interrupts. He's trying to look, you know, shocked, but he has just a momentary flash of, "Oh, thank goodness, I didn't actually have to go through with it." Yeah. <laughs> It's also worth noting that one of the more divisive Jericho moments in recent memories from the, maybe three years ago, where they legit do a musical number, him and MJF, on uh, Dynamite. It was like some people were like, oh, it's so funny because it's so subversive and weird. Other people were like, why the hell is it on a wrestling show? Yeah. This is foreshadowing for his later plans. Yeah, yeah. Jericho never forgets something. He'll do it later. So our seventh match is Lionheart Chris Jericho. Versus Rey Mysterio Jr. in a no disqualification match for Jericho's WCW Cruiserweight Championship. Referee for this is Mark Curtis. The person Jericho won the title from many months back was Rey Mysterio. And in kayfabe, he attacked him after the match, injuring his knee, sending him out of action. So this is a return match for Rey Mysterio in this case. Okay, as well. yeah. So getting revenge on the guy that kayfabe took him out of action. Correct. It's a legitimate knee surgery. He Correct, needs, yes. right? And they just use that as the excuse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mysterio is in a primarily red and green outfit, about half a year too early for that color scheme. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. It does look cool, though. It does, yeah. And one knee, indeed, has a knee brace on it. Jericho attacks with his cane, but Mysterio dodges, and Jericho bounces the cane off the ropes and hits himself in the face. Mysterio rapidly attacks and gets two with a springboard leg drop. Jericho retreats outside, so Mysterio swings around a post and hits a surprise Hurricane Rana. It's a bit of an awkward pause in the middle of that move, but it's a cool idea. Yeah, yeah. Back in, Jericho stops himself on a whip and hits a leapfrogging Mysterio with a chop block to the braced knee, then works the knee with stomps and kicks as Mysterio howls in pain. Mysterio dodges a charge and Jericho spills to the floor, so Jericho retreats to the beach set. Yes. Finally. Jericho climbs the lifeguard stand, but Mysterio throws him onto a sandcastle and Punisher's skull pyramid, knocking a giant beach ball aside in the process, which may be a candidate for one of the weirdest sentences I've ever had to say on this show. Yeah, we haven't covered Halloween Havoc yet, so... This is true. Give it time. Mysterio knocks an inflatable shark, or I think it might have been a dolphin, off the stand and dives off to Hurricane Rana Jericho, hitting his head on the sand in the process. It's uh, softer than the ring post a few years back, at least. That is true, yeah. Mysterio throws sand in Jericho's eyes. Back in, Jericho rolls through a Mysterio crossbody for two. Jericho top rope power slam, and he retrieves a chair and nails Mysterio in the knee, but Mysterio dodges a chair-assisted knee drop. 
Mysterio chair shot and chair assisted dropkick to the leg, but Jericho catches a springboard Rana and goes for the lion tamer. Mysterio makes the ropes. The crowd suddenly cheers as Dean Malenko comes down the ramp wearing an awesome t shirt mm-hmm. with an image of his intense eyes. Heenan notes it, so uh, thanks for the help selling merchandise, Heenan. Absolutely. A distracted Jericho nevertheless tries the lion tamer again, but Mysterio flips through his legs and rolls him up for the three count and the win. Malenko chases Jericho, who runs the heck up the ramp and disappears backstage, only to be stopped by Arn Anderson. <laughs> Malenko catches up and beats the ever-loving crap out of Jericho backstage before we cut back to Mysterio celebrating with his belt. Thoughts on this one? I thought this was a pretty good match. You kind of have to understand that this is Ray's first match back. Mm-hmm. So a couple of bits where he doesn't quite either get distance or timing right, you kind of give a little bit of pass on. Like he's rusty, the, yeah. Yeah. Well, like the haircut Rana spot gets countered. He doesn't quite, he's not quite high enough, like the one leg's not right position, but he's being countered anyway, so again, kind of works. Mm-hmm. It is sort of funny to see him do the swing around the ring post spot, even if it doesn't go super well, because that kind of weirdly foreshadows a 619. Yes, Similar uh, similar theme to it, yeah. In fact, if memory serves, he tries at WrestleMania, the watch with Tim and Orton in Kurt Angle. He does a version of that, which also doesn't quite land right. So maybe maybe avoid swinging around that post. Yeah, the, I mean, the timing on something like that is so tight. Oh, yeah. What he needs to do is swing around, grab the guy with his legs, and continue that same motion. Mm-hmm. So both guys have to be exactly positioned right and exactly on. The fact that it goes as well as it does is amazing. That's fair, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the tricky thing with this match is, as much as the crowd loves Mysterio, and it's nice to see him back, absolutely, the match they're building to is Malenko and Jericho. So you get a good match out of this as a whole, but the crowd doesn't get the match they're really necessarily expecting. Mm-hmm. There are definitely, as we've covered in history, far worse replacements for people in wrestling matches. Yes. But yeah, it's just kind of a mixed bag. I like that Malenko's interference also doesn't involve actually even getting to the ring with the yes. disqualification thing. And and I like that Mysterio does not roll up Jericho while he's distracted. Sure, yeah. Jericho is off, but he goes back and is doing a move. So he's involved in the match again Yeah, when Mysterio... Uh, counters the move mm-hmm. so he's actually doing a legitimate counter to a move it doesn't make mysterio look weak yeah or needing needing the help necessarily mm-hmm. that's fair he looks like a legitimate champion who actually won by doing a counter to a move right rather than a fluke win it's a slight misdirection as well because if you if you're in the crowd and you think oh, okay you hear what the match is still no disqualification because it was before with him and malenko you're thinking oh no matter what's going to happen, Malenko's going to run out and like hit Jericho and Ray yeah. put a move and pin him. But I think they recognized, okay, we we need Ray to still look good in all of this, and we you know having him look like a fluke champion will not be good. Mm-hmm. So I think they do this in exactly the right way. If oh, they're agree, going yeah. to do this combination of things, mm-hmm. they did it just right for that. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, quite a nice match. I I think, like you said, it's 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 short because we're not quite sure what Ray can handle yet, and he's rusty. Yeah, but. They did a very good job and had a lot of intensity to it. Absolutely, yeah. So here's the sort of downer bit, unfortunately, of this. So Jericho has this nickname as the King of Loopholes. Mm-hmm. If you go watch this on either the network or Peacock, depending which territory you're in, the screenshot they use for each episode, it starts a random bit in the episode, they either intentionally or accidentally got a perfect screenshot because it's 
Jericho reading from a book, presumably the Book of Rules, to J.J. Dillon, who was facepalming, like full, <laughs> full Picard meme facepalming. Nice. That sort of gives you an idea of what's going to happen if you're going through these normally. So what happens is Jericho comes out the next night, and Nitro brings up the Book of Rules, saying that the title win is null and void because Dean Lincoln interfered, and if a suspended person interferes in a title match, the win is null and void. Gotcha. My issue is that Blinko didn't, he didn't really interfere. interfere. Yeah, yeah. As we pointed out, he doesn't really. He didn't even enter the ring. That would actually work if Malenko had actually made contact with him before yeah. the pinfall. Yeah. Or he got on the ring apron. Something more direct than just, hi, I'm here. Oh, you're distracted. Yeah, I agree. So it's, <laughs> it's funny because we praise how well they did the finish, but then they mess up their finish by yeah. storyline. Yeah, it would have been a great opportunity to have Dylan, again, as the former horseman manager, very aware of loopholes himself and stuff, just say, no, that's not a loophole. He did not interfere in the match. If he's standing there and you happen to get distracted, too bad. I think if you go back to, I, I want to say, I think it's Arcade 85, they overturned that win for Dusty because the horsemen get on the ring apron and try to attack him. And even though they don't actually hit him, they say, oh, they interfered, and that's the title win. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So Dylan being involved in that scenario, would definitely know how the rules in that work. That's true, yeah. But it's a little shame that they, one, it's a shame they undo Ravis Year's title win and do it in that way, but it keeps the Jericho Malenko story going. So I yeah, I get, I get like you've kind of worked yourself into a bit of a corner here where you want to have the title involved in that storyline. Yeah. And you don't want Malenko to start beating up Ray Mysterio, presumably. Sure. So Yeah, right. Maybe they're also not sure if Ray is ready for full time, mm-hmm. but they wanted for that short match and the win in the moment. I think it'd be nice if what they had done was something more like Jericho brings that up, but they end up using it to give him a rematch against Rey Mysterio. Sure. And then Jericho does something absolutely brutal during that match to win the match and get his title back. That'd be fair, yeah. Don't make it an automatic undo, because I don't think it's a strong enough argument that it's automatic undo, but I think it's a strong enough argument to say, I get another match against this guy. Right. As a punishment for his quote-unquote interference— Demolinko is kayfabe fired, but in about three weeks, he will be unfired, but still on sort of on watch because, you know, lots of he's done, but also made the referee for Chris Jericho's title match against Uta Guerrera. Yes. At Road Wild. Yes. Nick's messaging a bit here, although <laughs> I guess Dylan clearly doesn't, doesn't like Jericho, so I can yeah. see him making that call. He's in favor. He's like, I have to do certain things because of the rules, yeah. but I like you a lot better than I like this guy, so I'll do what I can. Uh, meanwhile, Mysterio is also wrestling in Robo, as you recall. He wrestled Psychosis. They matched to become number contender, which isn't he already? Or I guess because his wins are returned, he's not? I'm really unclear how rules work. Who the heck? Let's not, not try to analyze oh, I know. WCW's rules on contendership. Exactly. <laughs> it's just funny that it comes up like that. Yeah. Our eighth match is Brett the Hitman Hart versus Booker T for Booker's WCW World Television Championship. Referee for this one is Billy Silverman. Kind of a familiar beat here as Bret Hart, who is I think technically part of the interview at this point. It's it's weird because it's a period where he's he's interview adjacent. Yeah. Even the wiki page doesn't actually list him as a member, so I don't know. But as we see, he comes out to their theme. Yes, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. As a member or at least supporter of the group, he tries to get Booker T to join the group. And he rejects it. So this leads to a series of shows and weeks where Bret Hart attacks Booker T during and after matches. Basically the exact same thing with DDP. Right, yeah. Rejecting the NWO. You don't join us, then you're solidly against us and we're going to beat the crap yeah. out of you. Yeah. 
it's not a bad story to repeat, but it is interesting to see it, especially with DDP on the same show, still finding the NWO at this point. Yeah. So this leads to the Go Home Nitro, where, again, he interferes after a match, because he recovers and he challenges Bret Hart to a match. This brings us to TV Ray, who he's been teaming with. Additionally, the match was a tag team match, and he, him and TV Ray lost because of Bret Hart. TV Ray berates him for not quote, going to the back and taking him out like we would have a couple years ago. Apparently, Booker T is not a man, man enough for Stevie Ray because he's challenging Bret Hart to a fight in the ring. It's a little weird. I get what he's going for storyline-wise, but that's just mm-hmm. sort of his character, I guess. It's like you've lost your viciousness. Yeah. It's just weird because he literally refers to Booker T as a sissy for challenging Bret Hart to a match. Yeah, it, it, that is a weird, like, you are challenging him to a fight. You're not ducking a fight. Exactly, yeah. But I but I get what they're going for, that Stevie Ray is like, hey, we're Harlem Heat again. Yeah. When we were Harlem Heat before, they were heels. So we would beat people up backstage and attack them and yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And when he's trying to tie to the roots as well, back in Harlem, you know, in the streets, we would have taken him out and stuff like that as well. You don't try and set up rules for it or something like that. Exactly. You, yeah, you just go for it, yeah. Booker T says, you know, I'm not that guy. I'm going to handle him in the ring, show him the better man. That's why he's putting his title on the line. Bret Hart comes out and sort of accepts the match, but makes fun of them too, so. I can see, like, where they're going with the angle, but yeah, the execution's a little weird. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. <laughs> NWO theme count, three. At least Hart didn't drop the pink from his color scheme after being associated with the NWO. That's true. <laughs> the Hitman jacket is great. Mm. Oh, yeah. Booker gets some nice pyro and has the white outfit with flames tonight. I kind of wish he and Stevie had coordinated since they're together at the moment. I think that might be a storyline thing. Yeah, well, though. That's, that's true. Like, there's already some dissension, so. Yeah. Hart mouths off to Booker, so Booker shoves him. So much for being Mr. Nice Guy, Hart quips. Booker overpowers and out-wrestles Hart, so Hart resorts to strikes first. Booker earns two counts with a crossbody and an awkward snapmare where Hart just kind of falls. Yeah. They counter hip tosses until Booker sends Hart over the top rope to the floor. They brawl outside, and Hart drops Booker on the barricade, then wears him down inside. Booker counters a whip with a spine buster for two, but Hart clotheslines him out, sends him to the barricade and the ring post, hits a backbreaker, and gets two counts with a second rope elbow and Russian leg sweep. The fans cheer for Booker, so Hart sarcastically claps. Mm -hmm. Booker gets a slightly awkward corner roll-up for two. Though to credit them, it looked more like Hart fighting it than a botch. Yeah, that's true. A variety of Booker kicks leads to the axe kick, but Heenan notes that he's slow to get up, even on a spin of Rooney after a flapjack where he has to pause midway. Booker missile dropkick for two, but Hart rolls out. Booker dives, but Hart clocks him in the back with a chair. Hart is disqualified, giving Booker the win. I saw the expression of pain on your face mm-hmm. yeah. from that ending. <laughs> I know. It's- I'm sure our commentary will be good at that. Mm-hmm. Hart hits Booker with the chair again, puts him in the ring, and lands repeated chair shots focused on the knee as the bell incessantly rings. Then finishes up with a ring post figure four. Stevie Ray comes down to ringside in no apparent hurry, nope. as the commentators note. Hart breaks off himself and walks off as Stevie looks at Booker in, as Tanae notes, disgust. Stevie eventually does roll Booker out, telling Silverman and a doctor to back off and let him handle it, despite Silverman saying Stevie might do more damage to Booker's knee. Stevie grudgingly helps Booker walk, 
and Silverman and the doctor give Booker much better support as they walk to the back. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on this? I think this is a good match, but it's a bit methodical. I think the crowd was maybe expecting something different. Mm-hmm. I've discussed, well, there's ways that can work. If you're a really good and interesting methodical wrestler like Bret Hart can often be, and you do a good job of like really shutting down a guy like, say, Rey Mysterio, yeah. it can work because the high spots are so high, and then when you lose them, you wait for that to come back. I think as a whole, they kind of got that, but it's not quite as strong as I think they would be. If I understand correctly, Booker T is, does have a legit knee issue, which is why he's wearing a brace during mm-hmm. this. They say it's from the eight matches against Benoit, which that would do it. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah, the pace they went through and how many matches they had. Plus him fighting Finley on the same night to win the title. The corner spot, you know, didn't quite go right. And little things like that are like legit issues he's just trying to power through. But to their credit, they did make that part of the story. Yes. So it, it's better than if Bret had worked his arm and then he'd had some issues with spots. Because then he'd be like, wait, why is why is this slowing him down when he, you're beating up his left arm? Yeah. This is Bret Hart and Booker T. They, they know the business, obviously. I think they make the most of the situation. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. That's sad, except the key spots don't really go as planned. Like, his first hook kick, he clearly doesn't get anywhere near Bret Hart's head. He, like, hooks around his arm, which I don't think it's how the move's supposed to go. But, again, to Booker's credit, he does stuff that, if his knees bother him, would still be very difficult, like his drop kick and other Oh, yeah, yeah. So, he powers through issues having very well. The finish is, yeah, it's just a wet fart of a finish. Match is going really well, and, yeah, I just have the chair. Yeah, yeah. It's just like the, the moment I mentioned it, I saw your face just contort. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a sudden and stupid end to this match. Where you're yeah. just like, this was going so well. Like, yeah. it, it had little problems here and there, but it was just going so well. Like, it was, it was an interesting mm-hmm. thing to see these two guys wrestle. You know, Booker getting to go against Bret Hart. I think they say it's their first. I didn't go through cage match to see if they wrestled house throw matches, but as far as I know, it says it's the first. Yeah, it's such a notable match with these two guys that are are both so good at what they do, mm-hmm. and it's such a shame. What it feels like is last year's bit with the Page and Hedig tag team, and the and the suddenness with which that match cut off, but without the story justification that makes it okay. Agreed. Yeah. Because the story momentum at this point is with Stevie and Booker. Yes. And that can be built up just as well without this match being cut off. Mm-hmm, you could have Brett lose or cheat to win in some other way. Yeah. And then just go to town on Booker's knee with a chair because he's annoyed at him. Yeah. You don't have to have the match cut off super suddenly in this really awkward manner. Yeah. Just when it feels like, oh, yeah, it's now it's picking up. Yeah. If you still need the finish of Bret losing his qualification and making a point of really injuring the knee, have him wrestle a couple minutes longer, don't do the chair spot. Have Bret get the sharpshooter on, but Booker T, because he's so tall and long-limbed, grab the ropes. And then he's like, desperation, I can't make anything work on this guy, now I'll do it, yeah. Or Bret Hart even just won't break the hold. Right, yeah. Dude, that works fine. Yeah. That sells the knee injury more, whereas he has to hit him with the chair and then attack his leg. What does he get done during the match itself? But yeah, just something where it looks like Hart has actually legitimately exhausted all options and can't figure out a way to actually win against this guy, and that's when he goes for it. This feels more like, oh, it kind of slightly turned against me. I think I'll go for the chair now. Yeah, there's those little bits in the buildup where they, it's not clear if this is a story thing or just Bret Hart speaking honestly, but 
he accepts the challenge. He doesn't really seem to care that TV titles on the line. So that kind of plays into the fact that he's willing to just lose via disqualification. Yeah. Although in kayfabe, you get more money if you win, supposedly. Yeah, I mean, that's always the yeah. argument to avoid heels just cheating on every single match. Exactly. Ever. Yeah. So it doesn't really explain why I do that. Explain why I doesn't care about necessarily being disqualified, but the way it's done, it's just so haphazard. Well, and if, and if you don't care about being disqualified at all, why don't you just start with the chair? Yeah. You know, clearly he cares enough about winning that he wants to try and demonstrate his superiority as a wrestler or something. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel like it's gone far enough towards him realizing I'm not going to get to do that. Yeah. That's my problem with this. It just does not quite justify this enough. And mm-hmm. last year I was willing to accept that because it kind of helped the storyline that came out of it. This year I don't think it does. No. It's just, yeah, it's just a sudden abrupt ending to a match that was going fairly well and you want to see more of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was a perfectly acceptable match, but also kind of a disappointment. Yeah. There's nothing really wrong with this, and it was well put together with a variety of action, but I just, I know Booker and Brett are capable of more than this. Yeah. It's fine action while it lasts, but I think this is only a taste of what these two can actually do. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, because it's a unique attraction, it's their first match, and then it it plays out this way and ends this way, it's very disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, you really just want it a little bit more. I don't, I'm not offended by the lack of a conclusive finish to it, Mm -hmm. with it being the first match that they've done, but but I'm annoyed with how just abrupt and not really thought out the ending feels. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So on the next Nitro, Stevie Ray would come out and announce that Booker T is injured because of the attack and everything that happened. However, he is now the new TV champion as he has Booker T's power of attorney. <laughs> Which is somehow involved in title decisions. <laughs> of course. There's a book about the rules. You can, if you can find it. borrow that from Jericho and yeah, say, exactly. yeah, here it says power of attorney makes me the champion. Yeah. By the way, not to get too far in the story, but if you think the story is, oh, Stevie Ray's taking the title, Booker T's going to come back and fight over it. No. <laughs> Stevie Ray loses the title before Booker T's even back. So, Good job. Good job, bro. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess you have the story where he comes back and says, hey, you know, I was champion and you lost it. But yeah, it's there's no like former champion, new champion sort of payoff there. It's a weird progression. It gets at again, like, okay, if you're just going to do that weird storyline, then just do it where Brett does cheat to actually win against Booker, actually get the title, and then go to town on his leg to explain his absence. Yeah. Hell, you could tie the story together by having the ref distracted by C.V. Ray being at ring. Yeah, and that's why he misses the chair shot. Yeah. Yeah. Do the thing where Booker T is legit knocked out from like a chair shot to the back or to the head, hopefully not the head. And then he's put in the sharpshooter like, oh, the move knocked him out. Yeah. The only positive thing to come out of this is that this is sort of the beginning of Bret Hart really leaning into the hitman part of his character, Mm -hmm. where he'll necessarily win matches, but he'll try to injure people and take them out, like Luger and Conan, etc. So something mildly good comes out of this, but not as much as you'd hope. It's at least character development for Bret. Exactly, yes. Match ain't gonna happen, brother. Just to show you that I'm a fair man, I'm gonna give you your chance to yell your stupid lungs out. I got a brother coming in a few minutes. An NWO black and white brother. He's gonna give Goldberg his first loss tonight. And you people can scream to the high heavens.
lightning bolt in the center of the ring. Or Goldberg gets real lucky and gets by this NWO brother. Then, and only then, will I grace you in my presence and my wrestling boots and kill Goldberg Hollywood style. We get a video package covering Goldberg's shock win of the world title off of Hulk Hogan. In the middle of it, we get shots of a Hogan entrance, so NWO theme count, four. Interestingly, while the crowd does clearly cheer the win, there's a little trash thrown into the ring as well. Uh huh. I guess there's just some more hardcore NWO fans in the house, maybe? Sure. Man, that sure was a great build-up to that Hogan-Goldberg match we're getting tonight. Let's see how that turns out. Yeah. So our ninth match is Goldberg versus Kurt Hennig, who is distinctly not Hulk Hogan, for Goldberg's WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Referee for this one is Mickey J. Michael Buffer does our ring introductions, including his Let's Get Ready to Rumble. Oh, wow, they paid Buffer to do that twice tonight? There yeah. goes this year's budget. <laughs> yeah, right? Eh, just kidding. WCW clearly never cupped a budget. No. Buffer is dressed a lot like Okerlund, so Heenan jokes that he stole Okerlund's suit. <laughs> NWO theme count, five. Hennig shows off a Goldberg Who's Next t-shirt, and he's added Goldberg as the answer. He throws it to a fan, so that was a fun souvenir. Yeah. Goldberg looks great with the belt. Mm-hmm. Tanae even calls it a perfect fit. He gets his pyro shower, which always looks cool. He's got some blood on his head, so the traditional locker or door headbutt happened, even though they didn't film him backstage this time. Yes. Goldberg sends Hennig flying with a shoulder block and absorbs Hennig's strikes, but Hennig escapes a Goldberg leg scissor roll-up and rolls out. Heenan notes that Hennig has a desire to win on the same level as any other wrestler who wants to win. Revelatory. Good to know. Goldberg drags Hennig back in. Hennig stuns him and works the leg, including some scissor stomps and rope drops. Goldberg gets an ankle lock, but Hennig makes the ropes. Hennig mostly misses a clothesline, but Goldberg generously sells anyway, and the Hennig plex gets two. Mm-hmm. Tanae sounds stunned. There's not a lot of people that actually get to kick out of the Hennig plex, so... That is true, yeah. Goldberg spear, jackhammer, three count, Goldberg wins. <laughs> so much for that plan, Heenan notes. <laughs> yeah. Goldberg celebrates with the belt as Tony goes over the good game plan that Hennig had, but says Goldberg can't be stopped. Goldberg even gets his pyro shower again on the way out. Thoughts on this? It's a quick match that's just slightly above a squash, to be fair. Like I said, Hennig does, you know, it's Hennig's stuff. He does his nice selling. He finds a good body party, works it for about 90 seconds or so. Chris, if you could have done a longer match with these two, I feel like you definitely could have. <laughs> yeah. Before a reason, they decided, no, we need all the rest of this show for the main event match. That needs every bit of time we have. So I don't necessarily mind a Goldberg squash match because obviously there are a lot of them on Nitro. 
and Thunder and pay-per-view. It's this whole deal at this point. Yeah, I yeah. went fast, you know. It is interesting look back, though. We saw the Goldberg-Saturn match from earlier in this year, I believe. It was 98. It was 98. And the Saturn lasts like twice as long as Kurt Hennig does. Yeah. Admittedly, it's Goldberg as champion, so I guess, I guess it's like uh, Super Saiyan Goldberg, maybe? Yeah, and I guess you don't really want to... Once, once he's champion, you probably should start doing longer matches, but you probably don't want to do it for his first one. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you don't want to start breaking the gimmick at that point. You want to go, like, another match down the line, maybe. Yeah. In a way, it's a nice uh, example if you can show that you can have a plan, like, and attack his leg, but if you don't do it enough, give him an inch, he takes a mile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was a super short match. The only ones that are shorter are the Conan disco match and Chavo submitting to a handshake. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a shame. Hennig and Goldberg worked really well together and had good chemistry, and I really would like to see the two of them get a longer match. I do know that Goldberg's still quite new to the ring, but Hennig would be a good guy to give him a longer match against as a solid veteran that can guide him through a long match. Mm -hmm. Still, I like it from a storytelling perspective. It is all well and good to say that you're going to try and wear out your opponent over time, but it's partially up to your opponent how long a match goes. True, yeah. As Heenan noted, no one has yet found a plan that can beat Goldberg's sheer might. Overall, this was fun, but it definitely didn't break the Goldberg formula. No. It'd be nice if you get you're gone a little longer or find some sort of tweak. Because if you think about it, too, the whole angle, again, is that Hennig can take a body part out. But yet Goldberg's also trying that during the match. <laughs> so it's interesting to think that Goldberg isn't just... Press slams, body slams, clothesline, kicks. Yeah, that's always one of the interesting things with the Goldberg character, isn't it? That he's this big powerhouse that wins matches super fast, but he actually does have part of his portrayal is, you know, some submissions experience and, and, yeah. uh, and you know, the, the good quick roll-up that he can do and, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an interesting thing to pull into that character, that he's not just power. Right, yeah. It'd be interesting if you actually won a match with those at some point. It'd be nice, Yeah, you know, be a lower-tier NWO guy. Be a submission and go, oh, okay, yeah, I didn't need that spear jackhammer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Road Wild would feature a NWO Invitational Battle Royal. The idea is that all the guys that aren't in other matches in both Wolfpack and Black and White would have a big battle royal. Whoever wins will become number one contender. Goldberg, because he'd have a title match book that shows, like, hey, I should enter this match to determine who fights me next. It's so stupid. I'm glad Goldberg's on this show, but. Such a weird way to do it. That was one of the worst just Battle Royale concepts. Oh, yeah. The execution of the match is as its own other issue, as we discussed. Yeah. So many so many spears that so many surprising people don't take well, too. Yeah. yeah. They really should have found a reasonable challenger for Goldberg. Maybe not have a big storyline build to it, because he's constantly just fighting people. Have a higher tier guy that's not in WO. I don't think he would be off the top of my head. I like a, you know... Finley or someone in that range fight Goldberg, have a legit title match on that show, and then have the battle royale happen, and then he comes out and is like, you know what? You want the match now? We'll do it right now. Sorry, you said higher tier. I know. You said Finley. I was trying to think of somebody else. <laughs> he was recently champion. I know. Fair enough. <laughs> I couldn't think of anybody else. I did, I, you know. you it just shows you how, do- how completely dominating the NWO concept is yeah. at this point that like most of the guys you can think to mention are involved in it. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say TV Ray, but that didn't see me better. Tony throws to a video package showing what led up to the main event. No narration and some quite sudden soundtrack shifts, so not really great coverage of the story here. No. <laughs> Pretty annoying. 
Our final match is Hollywood Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodzilla Rodman with The Disciple versus Diamond Dallas Page and Carl the Mailman Malone. Referee is Charles Robinson. The NWO in the past tried to recruit DDP because he was a star on the rise. He rejected them and he became one of their many big enemies. And around this time, the NBA playoffs are happening, which is instantly a part of why they did the big title change on Nitro. They thought they could sort of get an in on WWF at the time because the playoffs were happening. Now, of course, during the playoffs, it is, in fact, the Utah Jazz and Chicago Bulls, a very heated contest. And there is numerous interactions throughout the games between Malone and Rodman. So the fact that they got them both to agree to wrestle, obviously the bigger get from Malone because Rodman's appeared twice just in the series. Yeah, it's not as notable that Rodman's here again. Yeah. He was even on Baywatch with them. That's I'm true, I'm not sure yeah. he was aware he was on Baywatch with them, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing he wasn't paid based on that either, what we've discussed. This odd little things they do that build up, like they actually do a show in Tampa, and they build up the whole show that DDP and Malone are driving to the show in a big 18-wheeler truck. They make an offhand reference to Malone, by the way, owning a fleet of eight-wheeler trucks, which I didn't look up. But I guess that's, I don't imagine they'd lie about that. I don't know what the context of why he owns Twitch trucks is, or owned, I guess. Maybe it's for his mail business. That makes sense. <laughs> so anyways, uh, they say that they're driving the big rig truck from where the last show happened in Orlando to Nitro in Tampa. So, of course, they didn't arrive till near the end of the three-hour Nitro, which must have been bad traffic, because we don't know how long it takes to get from Tampa to Orlando. Yeah, you'd think the DDP would, of all people, would be better at, you know, plotting out a trip. Yeah. It's just coincidental they arrive at the main event section of the show, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, as part of the build-up, you see DDP doing most of the promo wisely, and most of the physical interaction, again, wisely. There's bits where he tries to prompt Malone and give him his setup lines. It kind of works. He's not... You know, we've seen Mongo do promos. Other people do promos worse. And to be fair, again, he's not a guy who's wrestling promos, but it's it's not great. Is it better or worse than Rodman's first promo, the Vader? One? <laughs> it's better than that, yeah. Okay, okay. He he knows his line and he loves him fairly well, but he clearly has to be prompted and like very overtly by DP. Gotcha. He also managed to body slam Hogan, which is good to see. But they they <laughs> put the video package. After putting him some sort of weird, like, front headlock where he's, like, they're hugging. It's... He, he does that in this match, too. It's yeah. a, he has a weird way of doing those. Yeah, because it's, it's not a front headlock. It's not a cravat. It's, it's some sort of weird combination of the two where you stand chest to chest with a guy and sort of hold their head for a bit. Obviously, in that context, he was prepping again the cue from Hogan. Now it's a good time for the body slam. But yeah, yeah. it's still a weird hold all the same. Buffer is back, declaring this a tag team match bigger than any title, trophy, or championship belt. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Not the strangest intro he's had to give during this series, at least. That still belongs to the Buzz Aldrin intro, I think, on 94. I feel like I would have him say championship ring, by the way. That would have been nice, given the context. Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. He hits ready to rumble again, so pay him. Yeah. NWO theme count, six. Hogan is out first in his usual outfit, and Rodman is second with a Rodzilla NWO t-shirt. Oh, good gosh, they actually made merchandise. Oh, yeah. They probably sold lots, sadly. Disciple kind of lingers in the back doing nothing in particular, as is his want. Yes. 
Rodman and Hogan pose for photos from a brigade of photographers as Tanay proclaims them perhaps the most famous tag team ever in wrestling. Sh- sure. <laughs> uh, what? Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, The Rockers. Yeah, who's ever heard of any of those people? Yeah, yeah. Malone and DDP enter DDP's theme, doing stereo signs of the diamond cutter on the entrance ramp. Buffer proclaims them two men that align themselves with no affiliations or organizations. I think WCW and the Utah Jazz would probably disagree. <laughs> yes, very much so. Malone looks in terrific shape. Absolutely, yeah. It's no surprise as he's a basketball great, but still, dude is ripped. Mm-hmm. He perfectly mimics all DDP's entrance and pre-match mannerisms. Yeah. There's a nice bit during the uh, stereo diamond cutter symbols on the ramp bit that you can see DDP kind of leading, but waiting for Malone to match him on each point mm-hmm. before he moves on to the next part of the yeah. sequence. DDP, very good at leading someone through things as you would expect. Yeah. He's like, Malone, we've practiced this six times today. <laughs> As we engage in the usual pre-match stalling from the NWO team, Tony mentions a confrontation on Jay Leno's The Tonight Show. We are setting up the next celebrity match before we've even finished the current celebrity match. Oy vey. Malone and Rodman start. Once Rodman has Hogan take his sunglasses off. Mm-hmm. They circle around so much that even Tony notes that there's been quite a lot of that. <laughs> One headlock, and then back to the stalling, and a tag to Hogan. He and Malone compete at muscle poses, and Hogan seems to take psychic damage from Malone's. Yeah. <laughs> they eventually lock up, and Malone does slam Hogan. The commentators praise it, but not to the ridiculous degree that they did for Rodman last year. Mm-hmm. Tags to Page and Rodman. A few Page shoves, and Rodman arm drags him, which Heenan says Page didn't expect. Really? After you guys talked it to death last year? <laughs> yeah, right? Page gets two off of falling over Rodman somehow. (laughs) He had a collision on a leapfrog. The crowd laughs and boos. Yeah. Malone in, and Hogan and Rodman trade off wearing him down for an extended period of time, as I wonder why in the name of all that is holy, the basketball players are in so much of this match. Mm -hmm. In the process, Rodman holds Malone for a Hogan punch, then kind of just falls over when Hogan hits Malone. (laughs) What is the... the the one from martial arts where you hit a you have an eternal damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like a vibration strike or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he couldn't control his strength so much. Not sure if it's Tony or Tanae that says, oh, he hit him that hard. Yeah. <laughs> but good cover, but. Yeah. They do get two counts off running Malone into Hogan's boot and some Hogan punches. Malone makes the tag after dodging a Hogan elbow drop. Page immediately hits a diving clothesline, forearm, rapid punches, and a spinning lariat, doing more in 10 seconds than happened in the previous five minutes. (laughs) Yep. But Rodman knees him from outside, so there goes that burst of action. (laughs) Yeah. Hogan and Rodman trade off wearing Page down, occasionally tricking Malone and distracting the ref. At least it does feel more like a normal tag match paced with Page in there now. Yeah. They get two counts with a double clothesline and a Hogan suplex. At several points... Hogan tags Rodman in, they do a move, and Rodman goes back to the apron without a tag. Only once does it seem like it's meant as real trickery. The rest, I think he just forgot it was his turn. (laughs) Hogan generally just kind of pauses for a moment and gives him a look and then tags him in. (laughs) I get a distinct sense as this match goes on that Hogan is a tad irritated with Rodman. (laughs) Yeah, his pre-match prep was not everyone else's pre-match prep. Hogan big boot, 
but Page dodges the leg drop and tags Malone, who happily clotheslines and slams Hogan and Rodman, and batters Hogan around the ring. Tag to Page, Diamond Cutter to Hogan, but Rodman runs in, so Malone Diamond Cutters Rodman. They kind of have the grip wrong, he's got both hands on the same side of his head, mm. but the snap is pretty good. Yeah. Malone holds Rodman down while Page pins Hogan, but Robinson tries to get Malone and Rodman out, so Disciple sneaks in and hits the Apocalypse, basically a stunner, though it kind of looks more like a screwed-up diamond cutter, on Page, then rolls the unconscious Hogan on top. Robinson turns and counts three, giving Hogan the win. Malone hits the diamond cutter on Disciple after the match, getting the grip right this time, but a little bit less of a snap. (laughs) Disciple sells it, right up until a fan hits him right on the knee with a thrown soda, which understandably makes him jump. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Malone thinks they've won, but Robinson corrects him, so Malone hits the diamond cutter on him, too. It's probably the best of his three, actually. Yeah? NWO theme count, seven. Good gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Malone and Page pose as Hogan, Rodman, and Disciple retreat, and other NWO members arrive. Hennig, but also Hall, Scott Steiner, and Vincent, so pay them. Yes. Rodman finally takes his shirt off, throwing it to the crowd. Hogan declares Goldberg is next, and gets somebody's Hogan action figure and says the NWO belt is his. Page and Malone exit through the crowd. Hogan proclaims, I'm king of the world, and does a very weird strut. It's kind of like the old uh, Walk Like an Egyptian song. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's a real Bengals fan. How do these things relate? Titanic? I don't know. This is a very, very long exit. Yeah. Heenan says the victory tonight lets Hogan keep the NWO Hollywood under control. A second loss after he lost to Goldberg might have broken his hold. Fair enough, I think, on a, on the idea. Like like we said last year, you've been shown as vulnerable. Yeah. If you also are humiliated here by losing to a basketball player, maybe. It is weird to hear probably Hogan's legit pitch to Bischoff as a way he can't lose the match. <laughs> told by fair. commentators of the show. That is fair. Oh, God. Thoughts on this one? Uh, it's bad. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I know you have plenty to say. I mean, honestly. Yeah, it's, it's very bad. Yeah. I would say something goes wrong, but I know what goes wrong. It's it's Rodman. Yeah. He seems like he's in no condition to perform. I mean, the way he falls over, the way he takes bumps off of things that aren't bumps. Now you talk about him gunning in out of the ring. The period where he seemed like he's actually asleep while resting his head on the, uh, in the yeah, corner turnbuckle. Right. He's not cartoonishly posing like, oh, it's so easy, I'm falling asleep. It's like he's, he's actually He falling. actually, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm not sure if it's, as you said, not being a condition to perform or if it's just like an example of why they had to whisper to him so much last year that he just like does forget his spots a yeah. lot. That's part of the big difference between these two matches. Yeah. Well, there's numerous ones, but that one, as we talked about, Randy Savage is there to constantly go, hey, here's the next thing. Yeah. And Hogan's also there to tell him. They do a good, like, tag team work on keeping Rodman yeah. focused on what's on what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. The real proper tag team match on that show is them. <laughs> yes. And Rodman. Corralling him. The know. mega powers reunite to, yes, to yeah. direct Rodman. Yes. It really is uh, the Marvel-style corralling cats. Yes. Yeah, where you notice a lot less of people whispering to Rodman in this match, so that's... Yeah. I would wager that's part of why this one goes yeah. really poorly. <laughs> I like to think that at some point Rodman, like, he got used to that from the previous match. So he, he goes to Disciple and asks what's next, and Disciple kind of looks at him. Yes. You think they tell me the plot? Disciple barely recognizes who Kevin Nash is. That's true. 
I mean, he's legit forgotten his name at least once we know of his storyline. <laughs> the big problem, besides Rodman, is that they make this match so long, and the people that should not be in for long sections of the match are in for long sections of the match. It's like 23 minutes, it is, and it is. a good portion of that is the basketball guys. I know, yeah, exactly. It's, it's an interesting case of where clearly there was a full binder for this. Then Hogan gets a hold of it. And Rodman gets a hold of it. And, you know, whoever's writing for Rodman and they're like, oh, no, no, don't do this. We should just think that doesn't work because, you know, your formula for working match work clearly doesn't work, even though we we can see how well it works every other time. I, I would argue part of the problem is I think Rodman just didn't read the binder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. The finish. So they build up a nice like, sequence of things, you know, missing leg drop, all these things. And, you know, and diamond cutters. But then the finish, Ed Leslie running and hitting his, his finish of all things on DDP. DDP jobs out to Ed Leslie. Yes. People on Thunder don't job out to Ed Leslie. <laughs> the only positive from the way that plays out is the fact that Hogan doesn't recover from the diamond cutter and pin DDP. Right. That's the one thing DDP has been hard. Like, fine, have it Leslie beat Yeah. Him. But he's staying down. Yeah, I was going to say that that's definitely the one thing that finish gets absolutely right is Hogan sells the diamond cutter like death. Yes. Like he he is out. He is completely unconscious. Mm-hmm. He barely stirs even when, when uh, Leslie rolls him on top of DDP. Mm-hmm. So if nothing else, we can praise that part of, part yeah. of this match. <laughs> I, I would love to be in the room when they're discussing the finish. And then unless he runs it, it beats DDP. Cut, cut to DDP's face. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be wrestling alongside Leno in a month, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they get so much attention for the show, and they get a huge buy rate. And this is what they give. Yeah, yeah. That tells the audience what to expect. hmm This was double the length of the next longest match on the show. Yeah. That's Eddie versus Chavo. Mm-hmm. It's triple the length, about, of Booker versus Hart. Ooh. is about quadruple the length of Mysterio versus Jericho or Giant versus Green. Yeah. It is about sextuple the length of the world title match. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. It is almost 24 minutes long. It does not have the content to make up that time span. Yeah. And the structure is bizarre. Normally, you would expect Paige and Hogan to manage like 80 to 90% of this match, mm-hmm. with Rodman and Malone brought in for a few spots in the ending sequence. But instead, Malone and Rodman are in the match extensively, even against each other. They are not prepared for that level of involvement, and it shows, with slow start-and-stop action and a lot of repetition. Mm-hmm. The match is incredibly slow, with lengthy pauses between moves and tons of stalling. It is made far worse by the weirdness going on with Rodman. Besides several weird klutz attacks, unexpected of a very accomplished NBA star, Mm -hmm. Rodman just seems to forget he's been tagged in multiple times. Yes. The match picks up a bit in the later going when Paige is getting beaten down by Hogan and Rodman, as they structure it much more like a normal tag match face and peril segment. Hogan does most of the work on his side, more like you would have expected, and Paige is good at just keeping things moving. Mm -hmm. By that point, though, the damage was done. Yeah. They were fighting a losing battle for my attention, even when I was writing my show notes when I had to pay attention. (laughs) Yeah. The ending was okay, I guess. 
Like I said, credit to Hogan for a good sell of the diamond cutter, to the point that he lies almost fully limp when Disciple rolls him on top of Paige for the pin. See, Duggan, that's how you sell it. Yeah. Otherwise, I cannot believe that they made this match so long. It would not surprise me if it ended up on my worst matches of the series, except that I know some stuff on 1999 and 2000, and those will probably be worse. Yeah. But man, this was boring. Mm-hmm. I get the storyline question that you gave and that they gave to why that like this solidifies Hogan's power, but you could have had Robin be beaten. Yeah. The classic Hobbit Hogan thing would be Robin's beaten by a diamond cutter, whether it's from Malone or Paige, doesn't really matter. And come up the next night talking about how the end didn't lose that night and he just pretends like Robin was never a thing. Yeah. Like he was like, yeah. he wasn't part of the group. Like he wasn't there last week or on Thunder. He's like, you know, he didn't pin the NWO, so we didn't really lose, yada, yada, yada. I was thinking about how they could have done something different in this show. If you're still obsessed with getting a big spiked buy rate by having the Goldberg-Hogan match happen on Nitro, have it happen on the Nitro after the show. Hogan is so revelatory having, having beaten, having he's won and I've overcome the odds, nothing can stop me, I'll be champion forever, Goldberg music hits. Yeah, yeah, I can see that being a good timing for it yeah if you're doing this match mm-hmm. you're doing this match on pay-per-view you're not doing this course, match on yeah. the nitro so that's it's like the one time that i'm okay with you shifting around a world title challenge even when that magnitude maybe but sure. it still feels like that. probably should have been on a pay-per-view but anyway that actually would be a really nice timing for it that mm-hmm. yeah hogan's like hey we proved the superiority of the nwo once again and oops crap i got pinned by goldberg one of many issues with having the goldberg win happen when it does is that it really eats in a DDP story. Yes. He's fighting the odds, constantly going against them. Hogan's world champion. He wants to get a shot at him. And then here comes Goldberg, beats him in one night with almost no build. Yeah, yeah. Do you like, well, I still want to beat you up in this tag team match with nothing, no stakes. Yeah, it, it does. It does diminish the Paige storyline. And I think like we've been open in the past about it. it would have been really nice to get Paige a run with the world title in 1998. Yeah when he's really, really hot. Mm -hmm. And I think the trouble you run into is like, it also does feel increasingly weird to not have Goldberg be a world title challenger the longer you're doing his winning streak. Mm -hmm. And maybe we hadn't quite reached that point. Maybe there was another way that they could do it, but but it's just these two storylines really just clash, especially when you're adding in the Wolfpack stuff as well. There's, There's so much going on in 98 that all demands attention. And unfortunately, they just, they don't manage to find the right way to put all these puzzle pieces together yeah. where everyone gets the proper amount of highlight. And of course, while that's going on, you have them bring in Rodman Malone, and then yeah. you have them bring in Pool the next show. There's all these things they want to do, and they just can't fit it all together, unfortunately. Exactly. Yeah, like I said, my biggest issue with the main event is just that it gets them so much attention, and this is what they give them. Yeah. I, I genuinely think, you, you cut off some time from this. Mm-hmm. Cut it down to 13 minutes instead of 23. Sure. I think you get a crisper match out of it yeah, and better work out of it. Mm-hmm. Take those 10 minutes, distribute them among some of the other matches on the show that were quite short. Yeah, Maybe give Hennig two more minutes with Goldberg, Jericho, and Ray a little bit more time or sure. something like that. Yeah. you know, Or just add one more match. I don't know. I think this match would have enough action for 13 minutes. I don't think it has enough action for 23. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the thing you get into a lot with WCW is that they create a great product for the most part. So if you watch the show straight through, you're like, oh, here's some good action here. There's a good story here. 
but then you sort of have to accept whatever you get for the main event. Mm -hmm. You like the star power, but if you really objectively look at the matches you get sometimes, you're like, oh, man, yeah. This is a really good show. Just kind of forget this part happened. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of how I have to view this show. I have to pretend there's not a a horribly overlong, terrible 23-minute tag match at the end. Yep. It's part of the build-up with the NWO thing. They had been doing, Eric Bischoff doing his fake uh, Tonight Show segments during Nitro, which got terrible reactions, by the way, from the live crowd. I'm sure in the back going, look at what they're booing us. It's amazing. We're doing so mm-hmm. well. They don't difference between booing out of apathy and actual disgust and boo, you're a bad guy, I want to yeah, fight. Yeah. They do prolonged nonsense, like have Scott Steiner come out, talk about he's a big movie star, he's got stuff in the works, tease he's going to announce who his big co-star is next week, and then just don't do that next week. <laughs> Jeez. Not that I wanted to see the payoff, because I'm sure it's a picture of himself or some nonsense, but yeah. So all of that leads to a bit where after this, Jay Leno makes fun of Hulk Hogan on The Night Show, and then they take over very, very briefly a segment on The Night Show to build a match, which is then undercut by having Hulk Hogan appear out of character to promote the show. <laughs> Just bizarre. But yeah, so this leads to, as of the second most infamous celebrity match crossover in the comics history, DDP would team up with Jay Leno against Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff. Yeah, which, strangely enough, I... I recall not being good. No. But I recall being better than this. Oh, oh yes, 100%. <laughs> Which I would not have expected to say. Tony wraps up the show and credits Malone and Rodman for coming to wrestle. Debatable, particularly in the latter case. Yeah. Tanae says the NWO's game plan won the day. Tony and Heenan build up Goldberg, and Heenan says he truly looked the part of a champion. Tony wishes Matt a happy birthday. And Bash of the Beach 1998 is done. Don't know who Matt is, but happy birthday, Matt. Yeah, I guess, sir. Overall thoughts on Bash of the Beach 1998? So, it's honestly not a bad show if you look at the entire picture. There's definitely a lot of short matches that for another don't get the time they would need. Uh, there's some unfortunate finishes like Bret Hart and Booker T. And then the main event, is, as we discussed, is not great. There's enough good, I think, to outweigh the bad. Even though you don't get a proper, like, real prolonged fight on the beach set, you still get that nice beach yes. feel to the show. Yeah. And I appreciate that Ray and Jericho did go up there. Yes, someone did eventually, yeah. Obviously, as a Floridian, I'm a little annoyed that they took a show away from our state. <laughs> but, you know, it's not that big a deal in hindsight. At least they took it away from our state to go to another beach state. That's true. It's a good show as a whole. It's a shame that the thing that is most remembered by design. You know, the marketing was around that tag match. Mm-hmm. That so much good happened in the show when you kind of had to forget about that. They definitely, definitely could be a show as far as pacing and matches that don't end well or don't need to exist, like just go and Conan. But it's, I don't think it's, that as a whole, if it's the worst Bash of the Beach we've seen. I know there's worse coming. Mm-hmm. I found this a average, unexceptional show with some good matches and a lot of average ones up until the last match, which was dreadful. Yeah. Now, that doesn't sound that bad. We've got eight or nine average or good matches, depending on if you count Chavo versus Stevie, which is technically a match. And there's only one bad one. The trouble is, that bad one accounts for, no joke, nearly one quarter of the show. That's true. Yeah. 
Seriously, Buffer's intro starts seconds shy of the two-hour mark, and exit from that match ends about one minute from the end of the two-hour, 38-minute, and six-second show. It pretty much kills the show dead. Yeah. There is fun to be had in the first two hours, to be sure. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing to really go out of your way to see. Some matches, including the world title match, are dreadfully short. Had to have room for the main event, I guess. In a break from the norm, while we did have more promos and video packages than last show, we didn't have an overwhelming amount. It's true, yeah. (laughs) They varied in quality. Guerrero's was hit or miss, the internet segments weren't always relevant, and the video packages mostly did a poor job building things up and were sometimes annoying. But Jericho and J.J. Dillon were a ton of fun in the build-up to Jericho's match, at least. Yeah. Commentary was fine. I miss Dusty, but Tanay got in the mix well and participated in Heenan's jokes and Tony and Heenan's arguments more than he sometimes does. So they had a good overall feel throughout the night. Agreed, yeah. They felt like they were having a good time, which obviously helps the audience have a good time. It definitely helped that the team did not spend as much time overselling the main event in the basketball player's performance as they did last year. They praised things, but only to a degree that they would other matches. Yeah. Production was largely fine. I can't recall much in the way of missed shots or audio glitches, save for one bit where the ring bell was causing audio distortions, I think during Hart's repeated chair shots to Booker after their match. There was one bit. It wasn't that bad, but it was an odd bit. They suddenly cut to uh, the ring announcer because he's holding the clippers. Right, yeah. And just this like 20-second shot, like a tight shot of him where you see his cummerbund. His super bright cover fun there. He's not doing it with cover. He's just sitting there holding them. You're like, yeah. How long do we hold this shot? Uh, now. He and jokes there for his nose hair or something like that. Yeah. I think, yeah. The beach set, again, was great. WSW keeps nailing that each year in this series, and it is wonderful to see. It didn't get used as extensively tonight, but at least Jericho and Mysterio had some fun with it. On a night when they had tons of eyes watching, WSW put on pretty much an average show for three quarters of the night, then plunged off a cliff for the final quarter. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't really recommend bothering to put this one on. Anything good on it is well outdone by other shows in this series, and what's bad is very bad. It'd be a very tentative recommendation, I'd say, compared to other Bash of the Beaches, for sure. Yeah, definitely don't watch the main event. No. The the rest of the show's fine. Yeah. There's good moments to be had throughout. Mm Mm-hmm. Match of the night and MVP. So, Al, what is your match of the night? Uh, not as much the options that I would like for match of the night, obviously. Yeah. Saturn and Raven was good up until the finish got all bankled up, as we discussed. I really liked Eddie versus Chavo. That, thankfully, is on this show. That that wasn't on the show, I don't know how, how we'd create the show as a whole. That's a real bump up in quality, for sure. Yeah. Um, since some matches overformed, you know, if they're not great, like Giant and Kevin Green... As short as it was, Jericho and Ray was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, match the night has to be Eddie and Chavo. Okay. It's the best blend of in-ring work and story I think they had. I would say runner-up is obviously Hoovy and Kidman, which I forgot to mention in my overall summary. Problem is there's not a story there, and they don't like necessarily progress the story during the match. It's just mm-hmm. they're hitting really cool-looking moves and hitting them well, but there's no narrative throughout it, as I would say. Whereas even if you want to say love the balance of comedy and action in the Eddie Chavo match, every part of it is that they do as a match has worked very well. Absolutely. This is interesting because I've made a different decision, but I think my reasoning is almost identical. Okay. <laughs> so for me, it was between Hoovy and Kidman and Mysterio and Jericho. Oh, okay. 
And I'm going to go with Mysterio and Jericho, because while both are good, solid matches, there's much more emotion and story in Mysterio versus Jericho, especially Mm -hmm. connected to Jericho's great pre-match performance, A Good Angle, and Mysterio's Return. Plus, they had some fun with the beach set, which is always appreciated. I also, as I said, really like that while they had Malenko involved in the finish, it is clearly Mysterio's effort that wins the day. It doesn't feel cheapened, and it easily could have. So with all that, it stands out the most to me. Okay, that's fine, yeah. MVP? So a few people definitely worth mentioning. Obviously, Jericho with his match work and promo work is great on this show. Eddie even stumbles a bit in his own promo. His outside-the-ring work before the match and then his match work throughout is really good. He's so good. Mm-hmm. Even if he's buried in the main event, DDP does a good job with what he does. And he definitely tries to do something with his match. He just fortunately does not succeed. Some people with lesser degree, like Hennig, even though he doesn't have much time to do anything, does his part really well. Goldberg really looks the part, even though he can't really work on match super well. The commentary, if you're going to go commentary, I think they do a great job throughout the show as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have them making fun of Shivani because he mixes up a table and a chair. The whole line about how you go to his house and they're all sitting on uh, was, they're, oh, they're yeah. all sitting on tables and eating on chairs. Oh, I forgot to mention that one. Yeah, yeah. We have so much fun with that. I really almost with Eddie because I think his work throughout the show was good and really, really good. But for me, the guy who had to perform and had to step up and did was Chavo. Yeah, he's he's very, very good in the match. He's very good at capturing his character, mm-hmm. getting a lot of complex stuff across. So yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah. Very, and he technically, very and he technically works two matches in the show. So that's always a This place. is also true. Yeah. I should probably give this to Chris Jericho for absolutely nailing his pre-match promo and putting on a great match. Mm-hmm. But there is a guy on this show that I think also did a great job and that I don't often get the chance to award. So... For a high-energy performance, and being really up for whatever he's asked to do, I'm going to give this one to Kevin Green. That's fair play. I didn't mention him, but yeah, absolutely. He just consistently impresses me whenever he's on, especially, honestly, in contrast to the other sports stars used on this show. That's, that's a fair comparison. You want a clear example of why the main event sucks? Mm-hmm. The guys in that match, primarily Rodman, but honestly, I'm going to criticize Malone a bit for this as well. They are just not as prepped and ready to go and and gung-ho about it, yeah. as Kevin Green is in his match against the Giant. Mm-hmm. Watching him in that match, if you didn't tell me who he was going into it, I would think he was a wrestler. Yeah. Weirdly, a football-themed wrestler, but I would think he was an actual wrestler. Yeah. Probably early in his career, but I'd be like, oh yeah, this guy's pretty good. I'd like to see how he develops. To be fair, the WBF had baseball and hockey themes. Exactly, yeah. They've got wrestlers. their like jobs and sports star yeah. versions of wrestlers during that period. But yeah, I think that's what gets it for me is like, this guy is a guest star on the same show with other guest stars. And the difference is so clear. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Yeah. And that wraps up our review of Bash at the Beach 1998. If you've enjoyed listening to us tonight, you can find us on Facebook as Let's Go to the Ring. The link will be available in the episode description. Follow us for episode announcements and other show details and share your own thoughts about each show as we go through. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, or Pandora. And please, if you've enjoyed this show, give us a rating or review, and share the show through your favorite social media platforms to help others discover us. Many thanks to OSW Review for attendance and pay-per-view figures, and to Gina Trujillo for our logo. Next up, Bash of the Beach 1999. 
a tidal wave of trash-talkin', body-slammin', tsunami fury. Not sure about trash-talking, but considering it features the Junkyard Invitational, there definitely is a tidal wave of trash. That's true, yes. Also, Rick Steiner versus Van Hammer, the No Limit Soldiers versus the West Texas Rednecks, and Buff Bagwell boxing Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to this one. Double oi. This is Bob Moore for Alec Pridgen, signing off. Good night, everybody. Happy wrestling. As Stevie looks at Booker in, as Tanay notes, disgust. Mm -hmm. Hello, Blaine. That's the same look I'm giving you, Blaine. A disgusted look. Picture Stevie Ray glaring at you right now. Just glaring at you like, how could you do this? How could you interrupt their show? Do you feel bad about what you've done? Do you feel bad? You should.